Talk Show is on. And now, starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Filling in for Michael Ball, here's Brendan McGuire. A happy Monday to you all, Saskatchewan. I am Brendan McGuire alongside Sean Kleisinger on this Monday edition of the Sports Cage. Michael Ball will be back on Wednesday. We'll have Don Hewitt in the chair on Tuesday. But today, it's all ours. Coming up on the program, we're going to hear from Moose Jaw Warrior head coach Mark O'Leary, whose team stole one on the road in their second-round playoff series with the Winnipeg Ice. We'll be happy to hear about the success that the Warriors had over the weekend and their chances about maybe bucking off the high-flying Winnipeg ice. Mike McEwen, the new curling skip in Saskatchewan. He's partnered up with Colton Flash and his group, and they will contend for the Briar in 2024. John Hodge of Three Down Nation will join us. SJHL Commissioner Kyle McIntyre, of course, the Craig Dickinson Show, and Glenn Souter. A jam-packed program in front of us. But before we do that, we go out to the Western Pizza Hotline. We're very pleased to be joined by the Houston Astros radio broadcaster, Robert Ford. Uh, Robert, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. The series starts tonight between the Blue Jays and the Houston Astros. The Blue Jays took two of three over the weekend from the Tampa Bay Rays. The Astros come in a couple of games under 500. Um, I don't get too excited about... Wins and losses in April or even May, the great John Sherholtz once said, you wait 60 days before uh, you start making any changes. And I know this Astros team in the COVID season of 2020 finished under 500 and still had a good playoff run. Um, is this a case of a team just working out the early season kinks? I think that's part of it. And also, you know, Jose Altuve uh, suffered the, the broken thumb in the World Baseball Classic. So he's been out. He's probably not going to be back until June. At the earliest, Michael Brantley had shoulder surgery that ended his season last year early, and the Astros had initially hoped that they might have him maybe around opening day. That did not happen. It seems like now, as soon as Brantley could be back, would be uh, at some point next month, hopefully early May. So, you know, the Astros are without a couple of key pieces in their lineup, and then you also throw in the fact that Lance McCullers Jr. Uh, had a, a forearm issue in spring training. Um, his timetable is undetermined at this point. So you're talking about three guys who have been very big keys to what the Astros have done the last several years who currently are about out of action, and that means other guys have to step up. But, you know, it's a lot of youth um, that's that's replacing them, and, you know, there's, there's some growing pains there. Robert Ford, the Houston Astros radio broadcaster, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine-in specials. Um, it, it seemed to me like... You know, there was a negative cloud that hung over this Astros team, of course, after all the publicity that came in following the 2019 season with the uh, sign-stealing controversy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I thought COVID hit at a great time, if there is such a thing for COVID to hit, uh, for the Houston Astros because I thought it took the sting out of that story. And after what happened last year with winning the world championship, has that all been fully expunged uh, by the, the positive events that happened with that team last fall? Well, I think you got to ask the fans in New York and the fans in L.A. and, and the places where uh, the Astros are still probably going to get booed. And, you know, I really do wonder how much of this thing 2020 did take out of it because, I mean, uh, I was there. We were traveling again in the second half of 2021, uh, and so I got to go to L.A. to Dodger Stadium, and that was about uh, as much vitriol as I've ever seen uh, toward a team uh, at any game that I've ever covered. Um, I think now it's probably a little less, more because – most of those guys are gone now. 
Um, last year, there were only four guys uh, that played in the World Series who were part of the 2017 team that went to the World Series. Now, Yuli Gurriel was one of those guys. He's no longer here. Uh, Jose Altuve is hurt right now, as we mentioned. You know, Alex Regman is still playing, but I mean, there's you know, he gets booed every time he comes up on the road. But uh, so a lot of the a lot of the players who were part of that 2017 team are gone. I think that's the bigger factor in terms of fan response uh, in other places than, you know, the fact that the Astros won a World Series again last year. Was Dusty Baker the perfect guy to come in and deal with all that? I mean, just being a steady hand, uh, somebody who really doesn't get phased by anything. I feel like uh, to use a, a Houston connection, and maybe it's not the greatest parallel, but I remember um, when... Um, uh, Gary Kubiak, the Houston Texans head coach, suffered a stroke right on the sideline, and Wade Phillips had to come in. And Wade Phillips had been around forever, and I remember them talking in the booth about how he's the perfect guy to come in and just handle things. Uh, he's been around forever, and he's unflappable. I think the same could be said for Dusty Baker. Did that is, is that maybe a reason why he was such a perfect fit to take over when he did? First of all, I'm very impressed that there's that much Houston Texan knowledge in, uh, in Saskatchewan, so <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I agree. I do think that, um, you know, and when the Astros were looking at uh, managers, they didn't have a whole lot of time, uh, you know, after A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno were let go, obviously. Uh, and, and most of the guys they looked at were veteran guys, including John Gibbons, who got an interview, you know, the former Blue Jays manager. But I think uh, Dusty definitely has been the, the best fit. I think the biggest thing is, yeah, like you said, he can kind of calm the waters, but also he's smart enough and secure enough that he's not going to come in and think that he has to make changes. He realized there was a really good thing going here. There was already a really good culture in the clubhouse. And so he didn't try to disrupt that. He tried to add to it where he could, but he didn't try to, to, to change that or disrupt that or come in and say, all right, we're going to do things completely differently now because I'm in charge. He, and I think that may have been more significant than, than anything else he did. George Springer was the prized uh, free agent pickup for the Toronto Blue Jays um, when they started to buy free agents again, and people were really, really excited about that. Uh, I don't know how much chance you've had to observe George. I know early on it seemed like, or his tenure with the Blue Jays, early on it seemed like he had trouble fighting the injury bug, but when he's been healthy, he's always been able to produce. Are you surprised, um, underwhelmed? Uh, well, what are your thoughts about the way George has performed since making the transition from the Astros to the the Blue Jays. Well, I remember a series, uh, or actually a couple of series uh, last year between the Astros and Blue Jays, where Springer you know, almost won a couple of games single-handedly with a couple of big hits, and he had another game where he made a great catch at, at the Rogers Center. So, but he still looks the same to me. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a talent, like you said. When he's healthy, he's going to perform. Uh, you know, I think George Springer was, you know, is still very much revered in Houston because he was really the first piece to arrive that kind of signaled, okay, things are about to change in Houston. You know, he was the first of the group who came up when he came up in 14. And then 2015, Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers come up. And, you know, obviously the trade for Justin Verlander in 2017. But Springer was really kind of the first guy, not including Altuve, who was already who was already uh, with the club. But uh, so just for that reason alone, I think there's always going to be a fondness for George Springer in Houston. But, yeah, I, I think he, he still looks like, a fantastic player, and you know I'm really happy. I know you know I have some friends in Toronto who are Blue Jays fans, and um, you know I'm thrilled for them that they get to watch him on a regular basis. 
Well, if, and if it makes uh, your friends in Houston feel any better if uh, Toronto stole George Springer away, uh, it sounds like there's a fairly good chance that Houston might be about to steal Nick Nurse away from Toronto to coach the Rockets. And uh, Z- Zinger and I are fine with that. Zinger's a Bucks fan, so maybe it'll be one of those tit-for-tat, how-do-you-like-that uh, type of scenarios. There have been a lot of changes coming into the season with the pitch clock. Um, I know I, I tell my wife that I'm always checking to see, when did this game start? It's become a game in my mind to see, well, where are we at? Are we in the fifth inning? We're already an hour and a half in. Oh, sweet. You know, like the games are, are trending better and better. Uh, but that said, I do wonder if we're going to see the length of the games uh, maybe get back close to where they were just because there's so much more action in the pitchers. Uh, at least in my mind, seem to be having trouble adjusting to the um, to the pitch clock in terms of being able to recover quickly enough. How do you see that shaking down now that uh, the team you're covering is 16 games in? Well, I think uh, it's definitely, yeah. I mean, obviously you notice the games are moving at a much quicker pace. Um, I don't know that there's more action than there was because of the pitch timer. There's more action because of the lack of shifting. I mean, you see, I think every game you see at least one or two ground balls uh, that get through the infield that wouldn't have gotten through with the shift in the past. So, um, you know, I think that leads to more action. But, you know, it's funny. I was talking with someone recently who said, you know, why am I going to pay, you know, astronomical prices to go see a game when I'm getting less baseball? And I made the point, you're not getting less baseball. You're getting less dead time. That's a big difference. I mean, you know, did you really want to stick around for 20 more minutes of uh, guys adjusting their batting gloves and pitchers walking around the mound and, you know, all those things. I mean, that's not why people go to baseball games, or at least that's not why I went to baseball games as a fan. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's obviously an adjustment. Um, I still think there's a lot we don't know because we haven't gone through a full season of it. Like you mentioned, you know, how's fatigue going to factor in, particularly for pitchers who've already heard some stuff, that that might be an issue um, for some guys. But I think there's still a lot that's unknown, but there's no question that, um, the games are moving at a much better pace than they ever have, or at least than they have in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years or so. Um, and, you know, one thing people tend to forget is you're talking about some of the best athletes in the world, and this is their livelihood. So they're going to figure out a way to adjust and, and come up with ways to still be effective, uh, even though they have a little less time to do things. Yeah, we are with Robert Ford, the radio play-by-play voice for the Houston Astros. A big series starting tonight between the Blue Jays and Astros. And Robert, I wanted to ask you about Terry Poole and see how he is doing. He is baseball royalty around here in Saskatchewan from uh, from Melville. That's about an hour and a half roughly northeast of Regina. Uh, Is Terry still around the ballpark from time to time? I think I saw him throw a opening pitch at a World Series game this past season. Yes, he, that's right. He did. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm in my 11th year with the Astros, and Terry Poole had been really the only Astros legend I hadn't met um, until last year. The Astros inducted Terry into the, the Hall of Fame, into the Astros Hall of Fame, um, and he came on the air with us. And, you know, I'd always heard great things about him, but it, what, a, what a nice man. And, uh, you know, he was, a, as you may know, he was a baseball coach in an NAI school in Victoria, Texas, which is about two hours south of Houston for a very long time and, um, you know, retired from that maybe three or four years ago now. But, uh, you know, you talk to people who played with him um, and they talk about, you know, just what a underrated player he was. And, I mean, you just look at the numbers and he was really, you know, I wouldn't say the first guy, but he was one of those leadoff hitters who had a little bit of pop, could hit some leadoff home runs back when that really wasn't as common as it is today. So, uh, yeah, Terry Poole is... um, 
He's a he's a he's a uh, wonderful person. At least my the interactions I've had with him. And, um, yeah, I'm sure he's going to be around uh, when the Astros every year. The Astros do a, a Legends Weekend where they bring back a bunch of the alumni and they and they and they do the new Hall of Fame class. So I'd imagine Terry will be around for that. But yeah, it's always great to see him at the ballpark. Robert, um, I I know you're a baseball guy. Um, I was just uh, voting over the weekend. I'm on the selection committee for the Saskatchewan Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, of uh, which uh, Terry's a member. I'm sure he's a member. My God, if he's not a member, how is he not a member? Um, And uh, quite often we talk about stories of the athletes down south and come and uh, check in, and they spend their summers up in Canada, uh, particularly a lot of the college athletes. and I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, do you have any knowledge of Saskatchewan or any athlete, football player or baseball player who's ever come up here? And, uh, well, what do you know about Saskatchewan? Uh, so this is what I know about Saskatchewan. You know, it's funny. Uh, my boss is actually from Regina. My boss with the Astros, uh, <laughs> Anita Sagal. She's our executive VP of marketing no and communications. And she's originally from Regina, lived in Toronto for a little while, and has been in Houston for, for several years. Um, and uh, the only other thing I know about uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, is uh, Stu Shurewater, big league umpire, yep. uh, who's from there, and the first uh, umpire from Canada since Jim McKean, as, um, as I'm sure you probably are aware. So that's, that's the extent of, and Terry Poole, as we discussed. So that's the extent of, uh, of my knowledge of, of people and athletes from, from Saskatchewan. Well, you know what? You far exceeded my expectations on that. I was a little bit hesitant <laughs> to throw that out there and uh, put you on the spot, but we're really impressed. Sorry, what was the name of your boss again? One more time. Anita Sagal. She's from uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. Okay, Z- Zinger's going to write that down because that's who we're going to call when we want tickets when we come down to Houston. And, uh, <laughs> there you go. There we'll, we'll, you go. We'll, try and, uh, we'll try and score that. Hey, listen, thanks for this. Uh, enjoy the series. We appreciate your time, and say hi to Terry Poole for us. Will do. Thanks for thanks for uh, having me on, and great talking with you. That Thanks, is Robert, Robert Ford, the voice on the radio of the Houston Astros. Uh, that game tonight, um, sorry, I just had it up. Christian Javier will be on the mound for the Astros against Kevin Gosman of the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, that game will be just after 6 o'clock our time. So uh, flip it on right after you're done listening to the Sports Cage. We'll take a quick timeout and step aside. More on the way next. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SportsCage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Mark O'Leary from the Moose Jaw Warriors will check in a little bit later here in Hour 1. His Warriors picking up a victory in Game 2 of their second round playoff series against the Winnipeg Ice, the very heavily favored Winnipeg Ice, many picking to win the Memorial Cup. So... If the Warriors can somehow pull the upset there in round two, you have to feel like they have a reasonable shot at it in round three and thereafter. Also, we'll hear from Mike McEwen, the newest member of Saskatchewan's curling community. Boy, wouldn't that be wild if we had a Saskatchewan-Manitoba Briar final with Mike McEwen skipping Saskatchewan and Matt Dunstone skipping Manitoba. So we'll talk to him uh, just after the 4 o'clock news. John Hodge from 3 Down Nation will check in. Uh, We'll touch base with SJHL Commissioner Kyle McIntyre, of course. Uh, Games 1 and 2 going over the weekend in the Battlefords between the Flint Flon Bombers and the Battleford North Stars. The Craig Dickinson Show for McDougal Auctioneers and Glenn Souter. We might get into uh, the XFL continuing to die a horrible and painful death right before our very eyes zinger. Have you had any luck getting into it? 
the XFL games. Uh, I I watched uh, week one. I watched a couple. Uh, like game. everyone else. Yeah. yeah but uh, to be honest with you, I have not laid my eyeballs on any type of spring football since probably week one or two of the XFL season. I saw the USFL started this weekend. Uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson and the New Orleans Breakers were playing in front of like 200 people in one of the USFL hubs. So I'm just, I, I can't find any interest in, in tuning into that, especially when, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays are playing, the Milwaukee Bucks were playing yesterday. That is low on the pecking order, my friend. You and just about everybody watching in the United States, there was an article on profootball.com. I go there all the time for my NFL news and notes. And um, Mike Florio had a comment that uh, it has been a dismal failure when it comes to TV audiences. But paid audiences, it's been a success. And it talked about how the St. Louis Battlehawks drew over 30,000 fans. DC sa- sold out this weekend, too, <clears throat> in Washington. But but a sellout for them is... 18,000. 18, so we have to put that in perspective, yep. right? I mean, Still a good small crowd, wins, though. good crowd, decent crowd. Look good. But I, I struggle to envision them paying the bills. And, and I listened to Don Hewitt's interview. I don't know if it was with Suter or who it was, but they were talking about... Um, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers financial statements just came out, and their operating budget's right around $40 million. Mm. So other teams might spend a little bit less, but that gives you an idea as to how much it costs to run a CFL franchise. And a pro football team south of the border couldn't be a whole lot different, you wouldn't think. And, it, you know, it's, it's no different than Vince McMahon running the XFL and saying, well, COVID broke it up, we'll be back, we'll be back, and then they weren't back. How much of it really was COVID that killed it and how much of it was, oh, it was going to go under either going. way. That was his excuse. That was his scapegoat. <laughs> that was his out. I, I just don't understand how the USFL, now, there's a lot more smarter people than me, don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. How do they how, make a go of it? Yeah, like, well, it's a different model. you got to understand, a I, way I, different model. I know, I know. Yeah. Like, it's a way different model, but... They clearly do not make money from the gate. They don't make money from ticket sales, concessions, you know, probably merchandise more more likely than not. So, like, it's all TV rent of you, basically, as far as I understand it. And how sustainable is that for five, ten years? Like, eventually... I mean, NBC isn't going to want to show games of the USFL or whatever network has them uh, and, and pay all that money and absorb all those losses when they can get the same ratings by running an old rerun episode of Matlock. Yeah. I think that's what you're getting at. Exactly. So, like, w- at some point, doesn't the league need to make money for it to survive? Or am I, or am I out to lunch? Or, or, because or how the, does that well, league make money? It doesn't have mo- to make money, but, but the losses have to be small enough that whoever owns them is willing to absorb it. The other thing is... If you had a choice between owning an entire league and owning one franchise, which would you rather have? I would think as a fan, it would be much more fruitful to own your own franchise. You get to compete. The resources you have aren't spread around so much. That's why I don't understand why The Rock has had this fascination with owning this crappy semi-pro tier two league. When, If he wanted to, he could just buy the Calgary Stampeders. And if he's got $100 million to play with, well, great. You, you could play for a long time as the owner of the Calgary Stampeders with that kind of cash, and you get to compete. You get to show off your quarterback. You get to decide who your coach is. He's not competing with anyone by running this league. So that's the part that I can't wrap my head around. I've been struggling with it from the get-go, and um, I, I, I would be shocked if the XFL 3.0 lasts beyond I, 2023. I think we might have John the Habs fan on the, on the line. John, we have time for a quick... Quick, quick, quick comment. 
Yeah. Hey, guys, I just think that, uh, well, about the playoffs starting tonight, I just think it's going to be Oilers and Bruins in the final. Okay, well, All that's right. the first ever Stanley Cup final I watched was Edmonton-Boston, 1990. Thanks for the call. Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, I remember that, Billy Ranford's uh, coming out party. And, of course, you can uh, join in on the conversation through the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line, 306-936-6262. Call us toll-free at one 877 or follow us on Twitter at Sports Cage. Moose Jaw Warrior head coach Mark O'Leary is next. You're listening to the Sports Cage on The Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Each week, the Sports Cage highlights a coach making a difference both on and off the playing surface. This is the Coach of the Week. Well, Moose Jaw Warriors head coach Mark O'Leary, his squad has made it a series heading back to the friendly city. The Warriors scored four times in the first period and pulled off a 5-3 win over the Winnipeg Ice in Game 2, tying their second round series at 1-1. The Warriors and Ice will be at the Moose Jaw Event Center tomorrow night for Game 3 and then again on Wednesday night for Game 4. Warriors head coach Mark O'Leary is your coach of the week and he joins us live in just a few moments. The kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Monday edition of the Sports Cage carries on. Brendan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger are with you in the cage. Still ahead on this edition of the program, uh, Mike McEwen. Newly of Team Saskatchewan, or one of the Saskatchewan teams, he's still got to win the tankard if he's going to get through to the Briar. We'll talk to him in hour two, and also Glenn Souter uh, on his weekly Monday check-in as well. Uh, but right now, we're going to talk a bit about the Western Hockey League playoffs. Of course, we know the Pats were doused in seven games to the Saskatoon Blades, and round number two got going over the weekend. The Blades falling behind two games to none to the Red Deer Rebels, but the Moose Jaw Warriors. Jumped out to four uh, early first period goals on Saturday night and managed to hang on en route to a 5-3 victory on the road over the Winnipeg Ice to tie that series up at one game apiece. Game three set for tomorrow uh, at the Event Center in Moose Jaw. And to talk a bit more about that, we're very pleased to be joined on the Western Pizza Hotline by the head coach of the Moose Jaw Warriors, Mark O'Leary. Mark, welcome to the program. All right, thanks for having me. So early in that game, uh, was the key the fact that you guys were able to generate those power plays? Like I look here, it looks like you had three, three of those four goals were on the man advantage. Uh, get them scrambling, get them running around and, and taking penalties. Was that really the key for you guys in that game two win? Well, I think the overall key was that we were, we were ready for when our opportunity came. You know, I think that every game is different and, you know, you never know when it's going to be the most important moment of the game. And, um, special teams, uh, that battle is obviously going to be important against a team like this. And I, I thought that we capitalized on that biggest opportunity early on in the game, and that ended up being the difference. Now, not to say that you're super excited about playing maybe the best team in the country in any playoff series, but uh, coming in, uh, you're the only team in the WHL that had a winning record against Winnipeg. I'm sure that's a, a thought that probably wasn't lost on you or your staff or your players. Is there some reason why you feel like your team matches up well with the Winnipeg Ice in ways that maybe teams that even had more points than you during the regular season wouldn't? I'd like to think that, uh, you know, we can, we can score goals. Um, you know, we don't have, uh, we don't have the, maybe the, the firepower that Winnipeg does, but few teams do. 
Um, but I think, uh, you know, I just, I like the way that our team is built. You know, we have guys that can uh, can score goals up front, but, you know, our, our defense is a big part of our game as well. And um, I think, you know, our, our top four defensemen are, um, I think, as good as, uh, as good as any, and then our goaltender. So, you know, when you talk about depth, uh, I think we have depth in, in all three of those positions, and it gives us a chance going into the game anyway. If there was anything that we learned from watching the Regina Pats this season, and this was no slight at all against Connor Bedard, but it was the fact that it takes it, it takes more than one player to, to do it, to get somewhere. It really is not about the team with the best players, but the players on the best team. And I, I come up with that uh, Harry Neal quote that he always threw out there at the end of the Stanley Cup Finals every year. Um, I did the opening night broadcast on access between your Warriors and the Pats, and the thing that struck us was it just seemed like um, you didn't really have one line that really took took over, um, but you were getting contributions from all of your lines uh, offensively, defensively, etc. And I guess that's just kind of the lesson here, isn't it? A team isn't built on superstars. Uh, it's built on depth and being able to roll all four lines, all three defensive units, and, uh, and, and operating as one unit. Yeah, I think that, you know, every team is, is built different. And I know with, uh, you know, with Jason Ripplinger here and, you know, his model in terms of drafting and developing um, our own players, it's, it's something that we take pride in that there's not a whole lot of trades with our team. It's, it's players that we've drafted and we've developed here. Um, and I think part of that is, is finding guys, like you said, that, you know, fit, fit the mold and do different things. You know, I think, uh, you know, number one, you want to have players that you know, do different things. It's hard to, uh, hard to play against, but also with, you know, players that are okay with those roles and, you know, they're self-aware enough to know what they do really well. And, that's what we have with our group. We have guys that are, you know, really good at scoring goals, but we have guys that are really good at checking. And when you have guys that understand that and want to contribute with those skills, I think it goes a long way, and that's a big part of our group. Moose Jaw Warriors head coach Mark O'Leary joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine-in specials. Uh, in the first round, you managed to uh, dispatch of the Lethbridge Hurricanes in fairly short order with that four-game series. How much does that help you guys in uh, you know the fact you're able to get a bit of rest in fighting through what's going to be a real grind in this second round? Yeah, I think it was it was really important. You know, I think. You know, going up against Lethbridge, we we knew what we had with them. It was, you know, it was going to be a, um, you know, more of a, a battle through the neutral zone and then at the net front. You know, they make uh, life real difficult in those areas. And um, whether it was four games or seven, we knew they'd take a, a pound of flesh, and they certainly did that. So um, going up against Winnipeg, you know, we need to be at our best and. To be able to take a, a couple days for the guys to rest and recuperate and come in against Winnipeg as fresh as we possibly could, I think uh, is nothing but a positive. Do you feel like this has put the pressure on the other guys, the fact that they've effectively lost home ice advantage and the expectations are so high for Winnipeg coming into this playoffs? I mean, it's no secret that they have... Um, Maybe mortgage their future isn't the right term, but they have squandered a fair number of, sacrificed would be a better word, a fair number of assets uh, to take a run at it this year. And the fact that um, they're not on the mat, not on the ropes by any stretch of the imagination, but all of a sudden now they've got to face a little bit of adversity. Uh, d d does that put the pressure on them more, you think, at this point in the series? 
Well, the I guess the only people that can really answer that is is them. But you know, I think that there's uh, you know there's there's certain pictures that you can paint with any series. And I know in our dressing room, the idea is that you know we did what we needed to do going in there and and splitting the the first two games. Um, but again, I know you know they're a, they're a confident group. You know, it's a group that's been together. The the core they've been together for a long time and. You know, they've been through some growing pains of their own and they've had success and uh, at, you know, many different stages. So I don't uh, I don't think this is going to phase them a whole lot. I know uh, the organization, like you said, is, you know, they've made deals and they went all in on this year. But, um, you know, I have too much respect for their group, their coaching staff and their players. And uh, I know they'll, uh, they'll be prepared whether they feel pressure or not. I know one uh, exciting young player in your lineup, uh, Denton Matejchuk, who was uh, drafted 12th overall by the Columbus Blue Jackets last summer. Uh, maybe give some of our listeners a bit of an update as to uh, the role and, and, and the contributions that he's been able to make this season and in this playoff run. Well, a big part of Denton is his competitiveness. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, he's our captain. He uh, he leads, he leads in uh, a big part of, the way that he does lead is by example and whether it's practice um, or going into games you know the the energy level the, the relentless compete level um, you know it, it's a big part of what he does and we haven't even talked about the skill set and you know the the dynamic way that he plays the game I just think that he's he's uh, he's a different style of defenseman certainly than than many but He's a real important guy, not only on the ice for us, but off the ice and what he brings. And you know, we're not uh, we're not where we are right now without Denton. That's for sure. Uh, pr- premium offensive de- uh, or d- premium defensemen without offensive ability don't grow on trees. That's a real game changer, isn't it? Like that's something that you only get maybe probably in the Western Hockey League every five or ten years if you're lucky. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, it it, uh, it really is. I think again, it's uh, you know our organization, you know our mindset. I guess going into the draft, it's you know we look at it as being a real important piece and having that having that defenseman on the back end that um, you know maybe can't do everything that Denton can, but can play that style. If you look back at our track record with guys like um, Damon Hunt and Josh Brook and Jet Wu. Um, you know these guys. You know on some nights play half the game, so it's important that they uh, they bring something special. And Denton does uh, that, and then some. Um, you know guys that can that can really play play defense, but you know bring offense as well is uh, is real important. It's a big part of the way that we play, and um, Denton's just been so good in that area for us. I know you haven't uh, been able to spend all your time in Moose Jaw. You've been on the road. Of course, you're spending a lot of time in the rink and resting and yada, yada, yada. But uh, have you been able to sense the buzz in the city uh, with the playoff run shaping up the way it has been? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been real good. You know, even just uh, popping into the grocery store or um, running into people at the gas station, It's uh, there's definitely a, a buzz here and um, today, even uh, just getting that uh, one win in Winnipeg, I think goes a long way. You know, looking back to, to last year playing Winnipeg, we weren't able to get get a game there or win a game there. Um, you know, being able to do that, I think, is 
uh, giving people a little bit more excitement. But, um, you know, I think it's it's something special here in, in Moose Jaw with the community that we have and the Warriors being a big part of that. And I know the fans are excited and our players are excited. So it should be fun Tuesday. I know uh, when uh, Don Matthews coached here uh, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, he complained near the end of it about how he couldn't go to the grocery store without little old ladies coming up and giving him tips or uh, or other people. And it drove him nuts. And uh, for some people, I could see how that wouldn't be maybe a positive. Uh, but I would think if you're a junior hockey player or a coach, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Like you, you wouldn't get, you probably wouldn't get that in Calgary or in Seattle or in Portland. And, and that's probably one of the draws to being in a place like Moose Jaw, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I just think that's a big part of junior hockey in general. And, you know, that's why, you know, when you think, uh, when you think junior hockey, I think you, you think of places like, like Moose Jaw and, you know, where you can pop into Tim Hortons any morning and pick up your coffee and know that there's a, there's a group there with uh, opinions on how things went the night before. And I think that's, you know, that's a privilege, I think, as a coach to to have people around that, that care that much. And I know it means a lot to our, our players to have a community like we do. And, um, you know, it makes this time of year that much more special. Well, I know a lot of our listeners who are Pat fans won't be very happy about it, but uh, I'm thrilled for the Moose Jaw Warriors. I grew up a big Warrior fan listening to uh, the games on the radio. That was a, a big uh, forming part of my love of broadcasting in general. So I'm excited for you and your team. Uh, tomorrow night, puck drop at 7 o'clock at the Moose Jaw Event Center. Games 3 and 4 Tuesday, Wednesday. Mark O'Leary, thanks so much for this. Good luck the rest of the series. Okay, great. Thanks very much. And that is the head coach of the Moose Jaw Warriors, Marco Leary, uh, appearing for Western Pizza. Check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine-in specials. The Warriors snagging one of two on the road in Winnipeg against the very powerful Winnipeg Ice. Oh, and uh, yeah. I said it at the start of the series, uh, if anybody can knock them off, I feel like it's the Warriors who had that winning record during the regular season matchup very well with Winnipeg. And I'm hoping they do because I want to go to a playoff game in Moose Jaw. Never been to that arena before. Oh, you haven't been to the new one yet? No, like oh, you're I, missing out. I, yeah. I've been by it, but I've never been inside the doors and never been at a game before, which is surprising well, since, you know, we're in Regina here. But uh, well, 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 I mentioned I was a big Warrior fan growing up, and I remember we would... Um, if I ever had the odd occasion to go, mm-hmm. that was when they had the smelly old crushed yep. can on the edge of the city out by the, um, uh, what do they call it? The mall. It's going to drive me nuts now. The mall. I am not a job. friendly Heartland city. Heartland Mall, there I think go. is what Something it is. Like that. Yeah. yeah. And sounds, uh, sounds so we would, uh, uh, we would come along and we would go, we'd watch the game, we'd stop at the gas station and we'd head home. Mm. And then there was all that controversy about, whether or not they would build the arena downtown. And now that it's there, I'm like, why did they ever argue about this? Now I've gone to the casino when I'm downtown. I've gone to the Crushed Can Bar, which is like right next door. They had a poutine place. It's not there anymore. Um, you know, the, the restaurants that are around there. And now we actually go and check out... Moose Jaw. So what you're saying is you would like to see... A Town new... and Country Mall. Oh, sorry. yeah, that's okay. the one. Yeah. You would like to see a new arena downtown Regina for your Regina Pass. You know what? I That's a whole other talk. I, I feel like it's kind of an apples to oranges comparison. We have yeah. an arena that's not far from the downtown, but it's a valid point that you're making. I'm just saying if you're going to build it new, location, location, location. We've got to take a time out. 
Sports Cage will continue. Still ahead, we will hear from John Hodge of Three Down Nation and SJHL Commissioner Kyle McIntyre. You are listening to The Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the mighty 620 CKRM. Still ahead on this Monday edition of the Sports Cage, Mike McEwen. New of Saskatchewan, well, sort of. I don't think he actually lives here, but he's teaming up with uh, Colton Flash and his group. So we'll talk to him about their chances of getting to the Briar and also the Craig Dickinson show for McDougal Auctioneers uh, coming up a little bit later. Were you surprised, Zinger, that he is uh, more of a rock and roll guy? Uh, no, because I think he, I think he mentioned it uh, maybe a, a year or two ago. I think I, I recall him saying he likes to rock it. He stated his musical preference yeah. earlier. Unless I dreamt about it, maybe. I have I have some weird dreams sometimes, Brennan McGuire. So. A, a distinct possibility. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter, at SportsCage, or uh, text us on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line, 306-936-6262. You can also call us toll-free anywhere at one 767 0620. We chatted with Robert Ford of the Houston Astros radio crew a little earlier, and I think there's been a lot of hate on for the Houston Astros since the trash Strohs controversy surrounding their 2017 World Series championship, and that story broke, what, two years later? Just over two years later. But I feel like at this point it's kind of been expunged. I, I think that if you clean house, you fire those responsible, you make changes to pr- try and prevent it from happening in the future, and then you win a championship. Yeah, I think you're I, right. I, I, think I was cheering for them in I, the World Series just for that reason. I wanted them to win the World Series, just kind of like stick it in people's faces, be like, really? all right, this is done now. Okay, we're a good baseball team, and we're champs. Yeah, I'm glad they won it. Absolutely. I was, all, I was glad for Dusty Baker. Oh, me too. Dusty's the man. I've always wanted him as the Toronto Blue Jays manager for as long as I can remember. I just love his demeanor, you know, and I love his armbands, his sweatbands on his on his forearms. He just looks like a absolute grinder, you know. That's the type of manager that I like. I'm looking at a picture of him right now with his arm, two arms in the air with an armband on each arm. Like, who does that? Just Dusty. That's a Dusty thing. So, I remember thinking that he <laughs> should manage in the American League. That. Like, he would find this American League stuff simple. Because he had to manage in the National League. Back when pitchers hit. Yeah, back when pitchers hit. And that was, uh, last year was what, 2019? Mm, yeah. Or 2021. I think they did it for one more year, didn't they? It After all the comes together now, man. Yeah. yeah, the last few years are just a blur. Do you do you miss the difference, like the National League rules? Uh, yeah, I do miss it. But that you could say the same thing when you talk about anything when it comes to the history of sports. I wish things could just stay the same because I, I love the history of the games, but I'm also not a fool to the fact that I know that things need to adapt, things need to move forward, things need to change. But if I had it my way, I kind of liked watching the National League game because it was a different type of strategy uh, using using your bench. You had to really think ahead a lot more. And, and use your bench. Yeah. Like like if you were a bench guy, you weren't just a backup. Exactly. So, and, and you could be an older player. And, like, when, you think, yeah, yeah. and when you think about it, that is the original way baseball was supposed to be played. The mm-hmm. the pitcher bats. That's that's the OG baseball. That's the OG recipe, if you will. So uh, of course I'm going to be a bit kind of uh, when you when you swipe away the OGs of the game. OG 
in brackets original for those that uh, don't know. But Well, I, I still think they could bring back that strategy, and I know that there's at least a half dozen National League cities who hate the fact that it's changed. Yeah. Um, you know, places like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, they were all pretty loyal to the National League pure way of playing the sport. Yeah, it's but like we hit home we had enough home runs already, Brendan McGuire. Like Yeah, the, the you only know, like, yeah, the on. only argument against it was the amount of automatic outs that we were getting with the pitchers. But but I also think that managers did a really poor job of teaching some of those pitchers how to bunt. Yeah. You know, I mean, like like try to bunt for a single. But if if we came to the conclusion <clears throat> that you know pitchers just can't hit anymore, what about this? Couldn't we come up with an idea that, well, this pitcher's hitting, I'm pitching, you're going to be the designated hitter. When I'm done pitching, they have to get a different designated hitter, somebody who's on the bench. You with me? Interesting. Uh, Because some of those older players who there used to be room for at the end of their careers were guys who you could maybe use as a DH for a while, but then they would wear down, and they wouldn't be somebody that you would want to be trotting out there for four at-bats every night. But that you could bring them out for one at-bat every night, or maybe a couple. Mm. And then that way it makes it a game actually about the 25 men or women in you know whatever level that you're playing. But what about that idea? Is there some merit to saying, okay, the pitchers don't have to hit, but we're going to tie someone to that pitcher who will be their representative at the plate? I just think maybe that's in over the heads of the people in charge. I don't even think they would have thought of that, Brennan McGuire. Maybe you're just smarter than everyone. I, I, I like... Uh, well, I know that. I, I would <laughs> I would give the idea some thought. But if I had it my way, I want to see I want to see the pitchers up there. I want to see it. Come on, swing away, bunt away. Some, some of That's the pitchers, what I want. Some of the pitchers like to hit. Marcus Stroman, it was always fun to see Marcus Stroman hit whenever the Blue Jays went and played in a National League ballpark. And, I, you know, oh, I don't know what his hitting man. stats are now. But uh, Madison Bumgarner, I remember... Remember when Bartola Colon hit his very first career Major League I, home I, run? I didn't get excited because I knew he was on the juice. I think we all did. At the end of his career, and that was even after he tested positive. But yeah, I I, I get what you're saying, and and th- there are players who were fun to watch, bat. And I guess those guys can still hit. Shohei Otani does it, but like even Madison Bumgarner, remember his uh, what was it? His home run to at bat ratio was second in Major League Baseball the yeah. one year behind only Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, he was one of the better uh, hitters so for pitchers. It, yeah, yeah, so it's almost like we're, we're almost punishing the pitchers who actually could hit, but I don't know. I, I still would like to see them revisit that because baseball is supposed to be a team sport, and uh, I think that would help us get away from the individualization of it and actually have a place for some of these old geezers who could sit on the bench at age 35, 36, 37 and come out and pinch hit once in a while. Omar Vizquel. That's when the world was great, Zinger, when we had ties and pinch hitters. <laughs> oh yeah, your ties in hockey. I, I gave. I guess we got a break, but more on that maybe later. Brendan McGuire. <laughs> ties in hockey. Bring it back. Come on. Mike McEwen coming up after the news. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. And of course, we have Sean Kleisinger with us in the cage today as well. Coming up a little bit later, the Craig Dickinson Show for McDougal Auctioneers. Now, if anybody out there has a question that you would like us to ask the coach. Text it to us on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 306-936-6262 and uh, we will 
forward that on to the coach when he joins us a little bit later in our three of the program. Uh, right now, we are very pleased to be joined on the Western Pizza Hotline by the uh, newest member of Saskatchewan's curling community, eight-time uh, Briar appearing Skip. hope I have that right. I don't know if he made all eight appearances as a Skip, but usually appearing for Team Manitoba, Mike McEwen. Uh, Mike, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. And yeah, you're right, uh, eight times, but kind of wearing different colors, whether... Manitoba wildcard or Ontario. And that's kind of the world that the curling is in, or that, that, that's the world that the, the sport is in. And we chatted with Russ Howard on this program a week ago about some of the player movement. And he said, the traditional in me, sorry, the traditionalist in me, I, I hate it sometimes, but I understand it's where the sport is going. And Russ himself uh, represented different provinces at the Briar for Ontario and then later New Brunswick. Um, how did this reunion, not reunion, but this formation with the Colton Flash team come about? Take us through that. Uh, well, you know what, uh, I I got the opportunity to to play with uh, Ryan Fry out of Ontario, and and we put together a team that you know had a good run at the Briar, and uh, you know what, I didn't see it coming, but uh, obviously Ryan's heart wasn't in it, and you know he he uh, announced his retirement, so that um, you know that kind of left. Uh, there's just not a lot of what I would say experienced elite thirds uh you know there's there's a handful of them but it's uh you know it's a hard position to fill and uh honestly before i could message colton because he was you know at, at the top of my list for for guys that if i was you know to to put together a good team he would he would be somebody i'd reach out to and he actually you know he hit the send button before i could before i could message him so uh yeah colton was was on the ball and and reached out to me. Uh, I think, uh, you know, they were, they were exploring a number of options and, and, uh, I was high on the list, uh, for him to reach out. I understand you're going to skip the foursome. Colton's going to move to the third. Um, how, who initiated that discussion and maybe tell us how that went. Yeah. A hundred percent Colton and the Marsh brothers really. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, Colton's got a great mindset. Uh, he's he's got a high ceiling, great great amount of skill level. Um, he's physical. We saw that when he played second for for Team Cooey when they won Canada a few years ago. And uh, you know, he's just he's got a great work work ethic, great attitude, and I think he might be um, even in a position where he wants to to sweep like my last stones, where he would. He would actually be the third, but uh, not necessarily be in the house. Um, just, you know, he he might feel that his physical presence uh, sweeping on the brush would be better suited to, <laughs> to scrubbing my rocks versus calling lines. So we, we might even start off with that, where Kevin's actually in the house holding, holding the broom for me on my last stones. But uh, 100% initiated by them, uh, just wanting to be the best they can. You're not trying to say that those of us in our 40s aren't in as good a physical shape as some of these young punks, are you, Mike? And we don't have the ability to sweep anymore? Um, I would just say that, <laughs> not that we don't have the ability, but the wear and tear is, is definitely not built up. Um, i got to remember these guys are, uh, you know, they're a decade younger than me. And, uh, yeah, so that wear and tear isn't built up yet. Uh, you know, they're 
they're in a great position in their lives as far as, you know, their abilities, their work ethic, uh, their experience that they've gained. Um, so I, I honestly, I feel very fortunate to, I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time, uh, to help Colton and the guys and, and, and vice versa to help me, um, hopefully still do some good things in my forties, uh, in the sport. Long time. Briar competitor Mike McEwen now with a Saskatoon rink, uh, trying to represent Team Saskatchewan at the 2024 Briar, uh, joins us on the line for Western Pizza. Check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine-in specials. The fact that the Briar uh, will be in Saskatchewan next year, how big of a part did that play in your decision to maybe represent Team Saskatchewan? Uh, you know what, that's just an extra perk. Um played just played a home prior in london ontario and uh you know the the building had a great vibe uh it, it was just you know it was just kind of a return to to something special that you know we haven't seen in a few years just with whatever's gone on in the world so it was just a great experience and and to maybe have that opportunity again in in front of uh saskatchewan fans who are you know they're they're energetic they're they're great great amount of passion uh you know that that would just that was a bonus uh, didn't play into the decision but happy that maybe that could be something we could do uh next season this might sound like a dumb question but for those of us who maybe aren't as familiar with the players on the squad are you going to be the one import like do you live in manitoba is that how this is set up i am the one import and you know what i got a taste of that especially going into ontario last year uh, so there's definitely some challenges that that you need to overcome and it really helps with Colton and the Marsh brothers being, you know, in Saskatoon five minutes from each other. Uh, it's, you know, it's less of a travel challenge for me to come in and train with the guys. Um, you know, I, I think, I think I've got a handle on what that looks like after going through the Ontario experience. This is a better fit. Uh, in, in all honesty, long-term, this is a much better fit for me. How often do you have to train with the guys? I mean, I'm curious about that. We we've seen, um, you know, uh, people in on sorry in El- live in Alberta, but curl with three other people in Ontario and Newfoundland, Alberta, et cetera, et cetera. And I've often wondered about that. Um, how often do you have to train with the other guys um, leading up to these tournaments in in person? You know, we need to do it more than we're doing. Um, just. Just looking at, and, and I think all Canadian curling fans are kind of seeing it on the world stage, just how, how good the international teams are. And, uh, you know, a lot of the Canadian teams are, for the most part, older, more experienced. And I think, uh, I think that amount of training in person, if, if we can do it more often than, than we've maybe done in the past, uh, would, would benefit this team specifically. But, yeah, it's definitely getting more difficult on the international stage. So, uh, you know, training and spending time together and really getting, you know, kind of synced is, is very important. Uh, I remember growing up, I'm just about the same age as you, uh, Mike, and, and I remember they used to, on the TV, put their occupations, the curlers' occupations, whenever they were throwing out of the hack. And uh, I've heard some suggest, well, that's because so many of them do it full-time uh, as they're living. But, you know, from the different people I've talked to, it sounds like it's still a challenge. Like, for, for the most part, a lot of these people still have full-time occupations, and uh, going out in, in training, uh, 
you know, especially with a group that's out of province, that's a pretty big logistical challenge, isn't it? Cost-wise, time-wise, and everything else. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and that's why just to do what we do, we need great sponsors, uh, uh, you know, for our team. And, uh, you know, we're working on those things right now, and hopefully we'll have some, some great announcements uh, coming up for the team. Uh, you know, family support, and, you know, I've got a couple of young ones. Um, fortunately, my my wife playing all those years with Jennifer Jones understands, you know, kind of what it takes. So I've got a lot of support on the home front. But, uh, yeah, logistically and financially, it's a big challenge. Uh, there, there's, there needs to be a lot of things that sort of line up for a team to be able to, to go out and compete. And like you said, the added expense of maybe me coming in to train, but also just just traveling and the expense of that is, you know, it's uh, – it's pretty hefty what teams have to expense out to, to play a season across the country. I, I've heard some talk about Saskatchewan's drought at the Briar will be up to 44 years by the time we get into <laughs> next year um, as being remarkable when you think of what a curling place Saskatchewan really is. Now, uh, growing up, I remember a lot of players excited to join the New York Rangers because not so much that they wanted to play in New York or they particularly liked their organization. They wanted to be that team that snapped the 54-year drought. The lure of that was so great uh, that some of those players like Mark Messier, uh, Adam Graves, and, and others saw it as a real attraction to choose the Rangers maybe over other teams. Uh, did that at all uh, sit in the back of your mind as maybe another motivating factor to come to Saskatchewan. You could be the skip or on the team that finally does it, finally snaps that drought. Yeah, I know it, it's something I've actually thought about a, li- a little. Uh, you know what? It. I'm still looking for my first one. Uh, it, it's something you know I've I've dreamt about since I was you know first through through a stone. Um, you know, when I was a little kid and I think, you know, if I could get one, you know, one, one Briar championship even, and, and it was breaking the, the 44 year, uh, drought, what a way to go down in history that would be. So yeah, for sure. I, I actually, I, I think it's a cool little motivation factor. Absolutely. Have you allowed yourself to envision or dream about, uh, a Briar game with, Mike McEwen skipping Saskatchewan against Matt Dunstone skipping Manitoba. <laughs> you know that that would be uh, that would be a wonderful setup. That's a lot of Tuckers on the ice too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, uh, I, I I'm 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 going to do my best uh, to help these guys. Uh, you know, I realize uh, you know I'm kind of in the late stages experience in my career. And uh, Colton and the guys are really hungry. So I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm beyond excited to kind of get this opportunity and, and uh, just got motivated in a new way. Uh, you know, not that Ontario wasn't, you know, the right move for me, but just coming to Saskatchewan, just it feels like it's the right place and right time. And uh, I, I'm really excited for, you know, how how well that I think I'll fit in with Colton and the guys. Uh, yeah, look, I've actually been out already to train with them a couple weeks ago. So we've already got a few things out of the way. Uh, the guys are really motivated and excited uh, for next season. So I'm just uh, thankful and fortunate that, uh, you know, I was able to kind of come in at the right time for these guys. 
Mike, uh, to those of us in our 40s looking for excitement and new beginnings, you're an inspiration to us all. Thanks for this, and uh, welcome to Saskatchewan, I guess. And uh, we look forward to uh, hopefully you working your way to the Briar in Regina uh, just under a year from now. We can't wait for it to get started. I hope so. Thanks very much. That is Mike McEwen uh, teaming up with... uh, well, the infrastructure of what was the Colton Flash rink that we all thought would get to the Briar last year and was upset in the Saskatchewan Playdowns, but now they've beefed up their squad. And uh, Mike McEwen coming over from, well, he's curled with Manitoba for the more, most part and a little bit for Ontario. And now he's going to represent Saskatchewan if he can get through the Playdowns and very well might be the one to carry the hopes of ending that 44-year drought in the Briar in 2024. Time to break. Still ahead on this edition of the program, don't forget we will have the Craig Dickinson Show for McDougal Auctioneers, and if you have any questions, send them to us on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line, 306-936-6262. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Time now for the Cage Clutch Performer on 620 CKRM. Yeah, I know. Heartbreaking loss yesterday for Team Canada at the Women's World Hockey Championship. 6-3 loss to the Americans and Hillary Knight. Can't deny the clutch gene. You know, she scored a hat trick. She has to be today's sports cage clutch performer. For Nick's service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent Dealer. Give them a call at 781-1077. Still ahead on this Monday edition of the Sports Cage, Glenn Souter and today's edition of press coverage, of course, the Craig Dickinson Show for McDougal Auctioneers and uh, John Hodge as well from Three Down Nation. He bailed on us on uh, Friday, promised a romantic night <laughs> oh, yeah, alone about that. with his uh, spouse. So <clears throat> I guess uh, we're more important than a candlelight dinner tonight for John Hodge. So I got a will. question lined up for John. It has to do with uniforms, but I'm going to put that in my back pocket. Do you see that uh, Zdeno Chara crossed the finish line today at the Boston Marathon? Oh, well. Did it to the Bruins theme song. That's interesting. That reminds me. I just watched that documentary on uh, Netflix. I think it's new. Boston Marathon. About the Is it about the bombing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back in 2013, yep. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, and that season, and I hate to um, diminish what happened at the marathon to a sports season, but I just remember how, oh, I assume that that documentary probably touches on the fact that the, well, was it a sports documentary or was it like no. a news, it was like a news documentary. Yeah, but the okay. Reds, they did mention like the Red, there was a Red Sox game happening at the time of. Uh, well, well, the Red Sox, I remember it like yesterday, they had had, I think, two or three rainouts. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they had to cancel a few more games because the city went into lockdown. So I remember the Red Sox for a good part of that year were like four or five games, had four and five games in hand on everybody else. And uh, then they won the World <laughs> Series. Well, they they, they did. <laughs> that season. But 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 John Farrell, who I loathe and 
Blue Jay fans loathe because he chose to leave the Blue Jays for Boston. Then they win the World Series and he looked like a genius. But years later, a lot of people look back on that and say, well, they were motivated to stick it up Bobby Valentine's Mm -hmm. you-know-what because the players hated Bobby Valentine from the year before and wanted to prove that he was wrong and he was the problem. And also, just the way that the city and the team were galvanized by what had happened, how much did John Farrell really have to do with it? And I suspect very little. Yeah. But um, again, I don't want to minimize or reduce uh, something as tragic as the Boston bombing uh, into a sports season. And um, But what, what, what was good about that situation was the fact that they did find the perpetrator right away. Like It's yeah. not like it dragged out for weeks or months. I think they had it figured out in about three, four days. But Yeah, those documentaries <clears throat> are hard to watch, but it's good to, I think it's good to, you know, watch it just to pay your respects, if you will, to the situation, even though it can be, you got to put your personal feelings aside and be like, oh, no, that's so gruesome, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to tough it out and just imagine what it was going through those people's minds, right? So it's, it's crazy. Well, and, and when you've had time to reflect, yeah. the, the, the uh, you'll think back to what your opinion about what was happening was at the time yeah. and realize how much it has changed. And, and so that's a good example, although I don't know our opinions about that incident changed much over the years. But like 9-11, uh, they had the 20th anniversary. Gee, it wasn't that long ago, like a year and a half ago. And mm-hmm. Netflix had that documentary Turning Point. Yeah. And it explained how everybody became so paranoid about uh, terror from these other countries. And over time, we realized that, yeah, that's a threat, but terror from within our country is just as big a threat, probably even worse. And uh, the solutions to how to fix that have changed a few times since that occurred. But that's what I like about documentaries. They give us perspective, yep. Singer, yep. And, and kind of a guide to the future. Because when similar incidents happen in the future, you don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction. And we got here because we were talking about uh, Daniel Chara. He just ran the Boston Marathon, right? Yep. And uh, that is one big man to be <laughs> running a marathon. How, how tall is Daniel? Six foot nine. Yeah. Wow, okay. Mike Milbury. That's awesome. Who um, had been with the Islanders, ch- traded him away to the Senators. Let's see, they traded Chara, Billy McCault. Mill- Billy McCault was kind of a nothing anyways. And the draft pick that the Senators used to get Jason Spezza for Alexei Yashin. Mm-hmm. And then turned around and signed Alexei Yashin to a 10-year, $100 million contract. And Yashin... He was okay for a while, but they eventually bought him out. So if you're ever wondering why Mike Milbury and the Islanders didn't succeed because of ownership changes, low payroll, etc., you can look at that one move, Zinger, and I think most of us would agree that he deserved to be fired and labeled maybe the worst general manager of the 90s or early 2000s, whatever. Lots of football still coming up in Hour 3. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, it's 4.32 with your sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. All you got to do, pick up the phone and give them a call, 781-2090. The puck drops in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Four out of the eight series get underway. The New York Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes at 5. The Florida Panthers at the Boston Bruins at 5.30. Sam Steele and the Minnesota Wild taking on the Dallas Stars at 7.30. And the series, a lot of us will be watching game one between the L.A. Kings and Edmonton Oilers. Puck drop at 8 p.m. tonight. The 
Sports Cage is your voice for football, not only in the province, but around Canada. This is the Sports Cage CFL Report, a look at what's happening in our three-down game. BC Lions' new duds that were just unveiled, the Grey Fog, they're calling their road jerseys. We're now joined by BC Lions defensive back Manny Rugamba. Manny, are you in Vancouver right now? Yes, I am in Vancouver right now. Why do uniforms matter? Man, uniforms matter because, you know, the same way you wake up in the morning, you put on your shirt and you tie your tie and you go to work, you got to look nice uh, to feel nice. And I feel like our uh, equipment staff definitely took care of that for us uh, with these new unis. Why do you like the new uni so much? It sounds like you're giving them rave reviews, or they're getting rave reviews, especially with uh, the under-40 demographic. Oh, man, why do I love them so much? I feel like the all-black is a statement for home, and uh, the fog out gray, it's a, it's a nice alternative uh, versus the white that we had last year on the road. Uh, I think um, it's good for the team as far as getting guys excited, uh, something to look forward to. Uh, it's nothing better than getting in New Jersey before the season starts. Uh, it was something I didn't really know about until about, probably didn't know as much as the public did until probably a week before the unveiling. So um, I was excited when I was in the facility and I walked back and one of our equipment managers, Aaron, he told me to come check this out. And I saw the new uniforms and man, I, my, my face lit up. Uh, so it was, it was definitely something that I was hard to keep in-house until the unveiling of the uniforms for sure. I was excited. Were you one of the players that got to like slap on the shoulder pads with the jerseys and pants and put on the helmet? I saw on the social media feeds that there were some players like Vernon Adams Jr. was repping it. Uh, were you one of those players or have you been able to do that yet? Yeah, for the marketing shoot, we went over. Our, yeah. our media team did a great job. They um, put together uh, a nice photo shoot for us uh, as far as doing the marketing videos for the upcoming season and the unveiling of the new uniforms. Uh, I did get a chance to put it on and put the shoulder pads on and, you know, kind of get that game day feeling. And it, it was nice to, 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 to be able to experience that, you know, so early before the season starts. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Defensive back number 33 for the BC Lions, Manny Rugamba, talking about the BC Lions' brand-new uniforms that were unveiled last week. And, man, they are looking sharp. Cannot wait to see them out on the field. Your CFL report is for Kevin's Marine. Make the most of summer with a boat or pontoon from Kevin's Marine and Fort Coupel. Kevin'sMarine.com. Brennan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger are filling in for Michael Ball, who will be back on Wednesday. The professor, Don Hewitt, will be in this chair tomorrow. Still ahead on this edition of the program, we will hear from the coach on the Craig Dickinson Show. Uh, don't forget to text us your questions on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line at 306-936-6262. Uh, you can call us toll-free at 1-866-767-0620 or follow us on Twitter at SportsCage is the handle um, if Twitter doesn't blow up over this thing about celebrities having to pay for their blue check marks and it seems like oh yeah twitter blue <clears throat> well and, and i think the, that's what it's called right right but a lot of the celebrities aren't going to pay the i don't know five bucks oh yeah, 10 yeah. Bucks. and and then there's other people like wannabes who are willing to pay like the 20 bucks mm -hmm. and apparently with elon musk running things fake news is fine and ironically <laughs> donald trump has his um profile reinstated oh, but he's wow. not using it well wow. he's being a good boy you mean well, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, I suspect yeah, yeah. he's on the take right, to silly go on comment, to some huh? other. Yeah. Um, I, I will know, not pay social. the money for a blue check mark. I am not going to pretend I am a big deal. I promise you. 
I will. You hold me to that word, Brennan McGuire. We know you're not a big deal, but that doesn't line up with, you have nothing in common with our next guest. No, I don't. Uh, John Hodge, a contributor and writer and main pillar of Three Down Nation, joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline from his Winnipeg home, where he bailed on us on Friday night for a candlelight <laughs> dinner with the missus. How did that go? It was good. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'd i been traveling all week, and so uh, as much as I was excited at the opportunity to, to hop in the cage with you, my friend mm-hmm. Brendan, I uh, I needed a I needed a little bit of time with the wife and and I got it in and and uh, now I'm I'm here with you. Well, I'm not the least bit offended that you chose to be with your wife over Zinger and I. Did you guys watch a motion picture? I think we did. I I I actually was so jet lagged. I'm not sure what we watched. I can't oh. remember off the top of my head. All right. I think we watched something. All right. Well, happy Love wife, happy pictures. happy life is what Doctor Phil always said, but I don't think Doctor Phil made. His first wife, very happy, but that's a whole other topic for another <laughs> for another day. Hey, listen, I want to talk to you about this article that uh, Dunk did on Three Down Nation, the CFL's 15 highest-paid quarterbacks for the 2023 season. Have you had a chance to go over it yet, my friend John Hodge? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when I look at the list, uh, I guess the one that jumps out to me, and we kind of knew this, Bo Levi Mitchell getting 502,000 hard money. Hard money is guaranteed money. Is that right? Yeah, essentially hard money is any um, you know, and and I'll say this, like we when we release these articles, I, I get tweets or responses or comments from people saying like, "Oh, like this needs to be, you know, in some type of database. Like this needs to be like like obviously the the NHL has has a number of them. Cap friendly was I think the first one. Now there's there's a whole bunch of other ones, and, and CFL contracts just by their nature are are very complex. You've got guys, you know, some of them have 15 to 20 different bonuses and incentives they can and can't hit every week, and they've got, you know, guys coming on and off the practice roster, which means, you know, in a year some guys might register five or six, six different contracts. So just every time they come up off the practice roster, they technically need to sign a fresh deal. But essentially, yes, hard money is money that, as long as you report to training camp and, and you make the active roster, you, you will collect even if you get hurt over the course of the season. That is accurate. Okay. So number one is Zach Caleros. He's 600000 fully. Um, I guess that's his hard money. There's no over and above that. And we knew that. He signed the three-year extension uh, last season. But at number two, we have Bo Levi Mitchell. Uh, you know, his hard money is 502000 His maximum, 520000 And part of that, he got a $300,000 signing bonus as well. And I assume that that signing bonus is part of the 502. Am I right? That is correct. Okay. And, and what's interesting to me about that is that he was benched for another guy named Jake Mayer, who got a signing bonus of 210000 and uh, his numbers are between four hundred five and four forty seven. dollars uh, Should we be at all surprised that Bo got more than the man he's replacing just because there was such a need on the open free agent market? I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, on the surface, yeah, I, I can see why you'd ask that, why you'd say that. But I, I will also say this. Teams pay players based on on two things one is what they've done and over the course of his career Bo has done a lot more than jake mayer um he also did more than jake mayer in the west semifinal a game that calgary lost and 
though hindsight is, I suppose, 2020, the, the quarter or so that we saw Mitchell play in that game against the BC Lions, he, he looked a lot better than Jake Mayer did. So if you're looking at the very recent sample size, Mitchell is better. And if you're looking at the overall career production, Mitchell is better. The other thing that teams will pay for, of course, is leverage. And I think Bo Levi Mitchell had all the leverage in the world after his rights were traded to Hamilton. This is a situation, remember, where Jake Mayer signed his extension with, with Calgary first, right? That is, that is part of what made it clear that Bo was not going to be back with Calgary in 2023, was Mayer signed the extension midseason. So Bo Levi Mitchell and his agent, Dan Vertley, were not only able to negotiate based off of Mayer's deal, but they were also able to negotiate with Hamilton after Hamilton had publicly, of course, traded for his rights. And if the Ticats don't pay up and meet that number that Bo was looking to hit, they're going to have a lot of egg on their face if they trade for his rights and then are unable to sign him. And he goes off somewhere else, be it Saskatchewan or be it Toronto or any of the other teams who were rumored to be interested in his services. So I, I get where you're coming from. I don't think it's, it's, it's inappropriate to ask, uh, but based on those two factors, I'm not surprised that Bo is making more this upcoming season than Jake Mayer, albeit in a you know the same neighborhood or same ballpark of earnings. Three Down Nation CFL insider John Hodge joins us for Western Pizza. Check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine-in specials. When I look down this list, uh, I find at number 14 Chad Kelly. Uh, who could earn up to $248,000. His hard money number is only 87000 If Chad Kelly lives up to um, some of the potential that Coach Ryan Dinwiddie seems to think he has, that could be a real bargain for the Argonauts. Yes, and I think that's something that was, was the case out on the West Coast this past season in BC, right? Nathan Rourke is on... Uh, the second year of his rookie entry-level deal, his three-year deal that paid him in the neighborhood of seventy-five dollars to $80,000 last year. And that was part of the reason that club had so much success. Of course, Nathan Rourke's play was a big part of it, but they were able to surround him with all kinds of weapons. They were able to provide him with all kinds of protection. They were able to go out and spend a ton of money on the defensive side of the ball and really revamp that roster. And that's something that Toronto has had the same opportunity to do. They've, they've given Robbie Smith, the, uh, the defensive end, Canadian out of Wilfrid Laurier, who famously blocked the potential game-winning field goal in the Grey Cup. They gave him like an $80,000 raise. Uh, Andrew Harris is making big money again this year. Next, by the way, tomorrow we're releasing the running back uh, salary ratings, but spoiler alert, Andrew Harris is still the second highest paid running back in the CFL. They gave o- A.J. Olette a big raise. They gave Curly Gittins Jr., who was the most outstanding Canadian in the East Division, a $100,000 raise. Like they, They've handed out a ton of new money and not lost a lot of players. And the only reason they were able to do that is because McLeod Bethel-Thompson left after making well over $400,000 last year. And Chad Kelly is on the books for a contract that he recently described with a four-letter word that starts with S. <laughs> that I can't say on the radio. Um, so that is, I think, a, a huge advantage for the Toronto Argonauts. It's rare that a, a defending Grey Cup champion team is in a situation where they're, they're paying the, their starting quarterback less than anybody else is in the CFL, but that's exactly the situation the Boatmen are in, and that's exactly, I think, uh, a reason why they could 
have a BC Lions-like season in 2023 because they don't have a big-ticket player at the game's most important position. Obviously, the risk to that is the same risk that the Lions took on last year where, you know, everybody was saying, really? Like, you're going with this Nathan Rourke kid? Like, he, he started one game. He hasn't proven anything. Obviously, that played out well for the BC Lions. That's, I'm sure, the pattern or the or the, the, uh, the blueprint that the Argos are hoping uh, take shape in 2023. Kind of makes you wonder if they could have kept all those guys if uh, Macbeth, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, had decided to come back to the Canadian Football League because surely he would have cost more than uh, what Chad Kelly's going to cost as a starting quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts. One thing that caught my eye was, was the number seven and eight rankings. Um, <clears throat> Cody Fajardo... Uh, his numbers are between 371 and 425. Vernon Adams is at 285 to 350. Uh, it's a pretty significant difference between the two. Uh, so if we're going to compare those two quarterbacks, uh, Vernon Adams Jr. had a pretty good 2019, and Cody Fajardo had a pretty good 2019. Uh, other than that, I think a lot of question marks. Would it be fair to question uh, the fact that Cody Fajardo is getting about 25% more than Vernon Adams? I think that's that's reasonable, and, and it's kind of funny the way in which these two players have kind of mirrored one another, right? They, As you mentioned, 2019 both had breakout years simultaneously uh, in, in different divisions, of course. Vernon Adams Jr. did it with the Montreal Alouettes. Cody Fajardo did it with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You flip the script a few years later. Now Vernon Adams Jr. is out west with the BC Lions. Fajardo is with Montreal. But to me, this is this is about leverage. This is about... Cody Fajardo being the only proven starter as a free agent um, who made it to free agency. Because let's remember, Dane Evans was available from the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but he was also not technically a free agent. He was somebody the Alouettes would have had to trade for if they were to acquire him. And he was due in the neighborhood of $460,000 on his existing contract. BC was able to later trade for Evans and renegotiate that deal, but... You know, if you're Cody Fajardo and you go to free agency as the only proven starter remaining and you've got one team that needs a starter, that's a great leverage play you can make. Interestingly enough, the previous year, let's remember Trevor Harris, who's now the half-million-dollar man in Regina, was in a similar situation as kind of the only proven starter out there at free agency. The only problem was all nine teams had a starter, and he had to go sign as the backup in Montreal I think it was in the neighborhood of $120,000 hard. He was able to make a lot more than that on his incentives after he took over the starting role for the Montreal Alouettes. But but this is, again, it's about leverage. So Cody Fajardo goes to the market. There's one team that desperately needs to fill a seat. And let's remember, too, when free agency hit on Valentine's Day, back on February 14th, the Montreal Alouettes were in peril. They did not have an owner. There were reports that they couldn't offer teams signing bonuses. I don't end up believe I, I don't believe that ended up being the case. Cody Fajardo got a large signing bonus to join the Montreal Alouettes. There might have just been a little bit of a delay in terms of when the paperwork was was able to go through. Um, but but the Montreal Alouettes were at the bottom of everybody's wish list just because of the quality of players leaving there. Right? Not only what did Trevor Harris leave, but Eugene Lewis left. A number of those marquee players. In Montreal, Jake Winicky obviously found his way to the Prairies in Regina. Um, so the Alouettes were in an unenviable position. They had to overpay a little bit, and that's probably why you see those numbers work out that way. But 
If Cody Fajardo is able to find that 2019 form that saw him named the most outstanding player in the West Division with Saskatchewan, I, I think Montreal is happy to pay that amount. It just remains to be seen if he can find that level again. Hey, John Zinger here, also known as uh, the doctor of uniforms. If you need your team's uniforms to be fixed, you just give Zinger a call and I'll fix them. But I got a, a couple uni questions for you. Last week, we saw the BC Lions, uh, you know, release some of their new threads. Are the Calgary Stampeders going to be releasing new uniforms this year? I think it was a couple weeks or a couple months ago I saw that they teased like a white face mask for the 2023 season. Is there going to be jerseys and pants to follow? Do you know anything about that? I know the Stampeders are getting new jerseys in terms of what those jerseys will look like. I I can't answer that for you. I don't know. I do know that their equipment manager uh, was working with with, uh, the the white face mask and uh, John LaFave, the team's director of communications, tweeted out a photo Mm -hmm. of that white face mask on the helmet. As far as I know, the Stampeders, at least in my lifetime, have never had a white face mask and I'll say this, if I can get on my soapbox for just a brief moment, which yeah. it sounds like you're okay with Zinger. Oh, yeah, come on. The self-proclaimed doctor of uniform. Yeah, I am. Yep. I really am hoping that whatever new look the Stampeders unveil, it's following the trend they've had in recent years towards red and white, because it, I'll never forget watching when the Ottawa Red Blacks first came back into the CFL, <laughs> the Calgary Stampeders wearing predominantly red and black, play against Ottawa, we're wearing primarily red and black. It looked like an exhibition game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the fact that, that Calgary has started to really embrace the, the white as part of their color scheme, let's forget they are the red and white at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think that's a positive step. So I'm hoping whatever they unveil is largely red and white, leave the red and black for the nation's capital. That is literally their name, the red blacks. They, they kind of claimed it, albeit coming in later. But, but then again much as the team technically started in 2014, Ottawa has been wearing red and black in the CFL for well over a century. So I don't think we can blame them for wanting to wear that. Thank you, sir. I'm way ahead of both of you. I've been saying this for about 20 years when the Stampeders started bringing in, you know, sprinkling in the black trim, et cetera, that they should just be red and white. But Mm -hmm. not surprisingly, people finally come to their senses in the same conclusion that I've had for all of these years. Hodge, very well done, and uh, we look forward to seeing that running backs list. You said that's coming out tomorrow? Running backs tomorrow, receivers the next day, and and so on. We're doing all the positional groups. Oh, fantastic. And you can check out John's stuff at 3downnation.com. Time to break. SJHL Commissioner Kyle McIntyre is next. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Send us your texts on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line 306-936-6262. Call us toll-free at one 767 or follow us on Twitter at SportsCage is the handle. Brennan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger still uh, or with you still ahead in Hour 3. We will hear from the coach Craig Dickinson and also press coverage with Glenn Suter. We'll be curious to hear what Glenn thinks about that quarterback list as well. Uh, Very pleased to be joined right now on the Western Pizza Hotline by the new commissioner of the SJHL, Kyle McIntyre. Kyle, did you go to games one and two over the weekend in North Battleford? Did you get a chance? Sean, I would not have missed that for a world. Absolutely, I did. 
Good, very good. And uh, I'm sure the joint was jumping. And uh, I just uh, looked this up because I couldn't remember if it was last year or the year before. Uh, that was the final year of Bill Chow. But I just realized this is going to be the first time that you get to hand out the trophy. I guess we're calling it the Cantera Seeds Cup. Um, are, are, are you hoping that you don't get booed the way Gary Bettman does every time he presents the championship trophy? Well, uh, fortunately for me, I'm still in a honeymoon period. And I was the Vanna White to Bill Chow last year, Sean. But uh, we're pretty excited. Uh, we're going to hand out a brand new cup, the Cantera Seeds Cup. We've been touring that around throughout playoffs, and it is quite a remarkable-looking cup. And, and I'm not saying I'm going to hand it out in four games, but uh, we're going to be at every single game from here on in. You're going to put up a lot of miles in the iron lung if you're going to drive to Flin Flon uh, for, for all the games. I've done that trip from Estevan. That's as far as it goes, I think, one way. But you're coming from Swift Kern. I think it's a little bit further, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you mentioned you're still in your honeymoon phase as a new commissioner of the league. What was your biggest surprise from year one? I think it was a pleasant surprise. I think it was the, the speed and the skill at which uh, the players play in the league. It's, uh, it's a very high caliber. It's very entertaining hockey. Um, you know, the 2,100 fans that were in the North Battlefords uh, this past weekend on Friday and Saturday really, really saw two of the best teams in the SJHL battling it out. And the caliber of play has been the biggest and most pleasant surprise for me. And overall, I know that, um, you know, sometimes I hear um, rhetoric about, gee, are we getting enough college scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. And I covered the league for three years uh, with the Estevan Bruins. And I remember, I, I don't think I ever had a fan come to me counting or asking how many players got college scholarships. I think the at the end of the day, fans just want to see their own NHL in their own hometown and you can't dictate that by the amount of scholarships being handed out can you no you can't and i mean the thing that is great about the sghl is that our teams play a complete game they play a 200 foot game and there's lots of parity in the league however uh one of the metrics that we do measure our success with is the ncaa scholarships and this year i think we've had the most in 10 years uh at this point in the year we have really ncaa division one and we have a number of U Sport uh, scholarships that are coming up here in the next few weeks. So we're pretty pleased with that. And again, uh, for me, uh, bums in seats, uh, competitive balance, the number of kids that are transitioning to a future academic or hockey opportunity combined are all important things for me. But also important for me is that we're, we're making these young players, these young men, uh, we're turning them out to be better men and better citizens when they're done playing in our league. Joined by Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League Commissioner Kyle McIntyre for Western Pizza. Check your neighborhood Western Pizza for their pickup and dine-in specials. Uh, Kyle, I did three years in the SJHL and then a year later was working with the Windsor Spitfires in the Ontario Hockey League. And it uh, just so happened in my last season covering Estevan, they had the number one team in the country for a good part of the year. And then I went to Windsor, who was not such a good team. And uh, I had thought that going from junior A to major junior would be a big change. Uh, but I think there were probably at least a solid half dozen players on that Windsor team who never would have cracked the Bruin lineup. And a big reason for that is because the SJHL is a little bit of an older league. You have more adults, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. And I, what I'm getting at here is... Um, I think one of the draws, selling features of your league is the ages might be a little bit better, maybe a little more appropriate than what we see at the major junior level. Do you have a thought on that? Well, you know, uh, it's interesting because I would say that there are lots of players that are playing presently in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League that could probably play on a 
second, third, or fourth line easily with a lot of the Western League teams. Probably the greatest difference in the talent level is the elite talent. So this year, of course, the folks in Regina have been blessed with a, a phenomenal a player, a generational player in Connor Bedard. Uh, the closest player we'd have to that is probably Kean Bell, uh, playing for North Battleford, who's leading our playoffs with 14 goals in 11 games. And Kean is a good player, but his skill would not match the skill of Connor Bedard. So I would think that he would be a great complementary piece. If he would have been riding shotgun on that left wing with Connor Bedard, I think they both would have a lot of points. Although Tanner Howe did a pretty good job for the Pats this year. Well, the fact that WHL didn't get them, their loss is the SJHL's gain. So uh, I guess it all worked out for everybody in the end. Uh, time is our enemy, but Kyle, thanks for this. And uh, good luck in your first uh, cup presentation coming up maybe maybe next weekend, maybe a little bit after that. Thank you very much, Sean. Great being on the show. Okay, that is Kyle McIntyre, the new commissioner of the SJHL. Time to break. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. And it is time for the Craig Dickinson Show for McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalAuctions.com. Brendan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger now joined by the coach uh, of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Craig Dickinson, on the evening that the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs get underway. Coach, are you a hockey fan at all? Yes, I am, Brendan. Um, I'm a fan of sports and I have I've grown to really enjoy and love hockey who's your team I'm putting you on the spot yeah well you know I've, I've had a couple of teams but I think the one team I've probably enjoyed following the most would be the uh, Oilers from Edmonton I, I I've been to a couple of their games and those are uh, those are the guys that I root for probably more than anybody else. Well, you can you are forgiven for cheering for an Edmonton team because, quite frankly, we don't have any better options here uh, well, in Regina. I always thought folks, folks, this one were kind of one or the other. They either were Edmonton fans uh, or they liked the Winnipeg Jets because those are probably our two closest. Because nobody, and I mean nobody in Regina, can cheer for Calgary for anything. But yeah, I, say, I mean what. And that's kind of the sense I get is it's anybody but Calgary. So it's either the Oilers or the Jets. I, I, I feel like when ha- when uh, Smile and Hank went and signed with the Stampeders, I think that just ended it for a lot of us. And uh, <laughs> Cal- Calgary had taken a lot of our uh, young people in the 90s, and I think that that um, grudge built up to the point that maybe it's at the point of no return. Um, Zing- <laughs> Zinger was just telling me that uh, rookie camp starts on May the 10th. So uh, we are now 23 sleeps away, I think, Zinger. Um, are you just ensconced with telephone calls, uh, talking to players, helping them with logistics to get up here? What does a day in the life of the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders look like 23 days before the opening of rookie camp? Well, the reality is um, I've got some, there's some good, good people in our office, in our buildings. Jordan Greenlee does a lot of that work, and Chase Peltier. Um, they're doing a lot of the, the calls and the logistics to try to get the guys squared away before they come up here. What's happening with me really is is a lot of draft prep still because the, the draft is coming up, both the CFL and the global. And then just some big picture stuff. I've been working on stuff this morning that's kind of a, more culture-related, you know, things, some ideas I have for the team, some some things we want to really try to emphasize and and get across to our team and and so that's that's basically what what a day looks like for for the head coach of the riders is team stuff in the morning and in the afternoon 
I'm going to be watching tape and, and evaluating the draft prospects. There are some out there uh, who would suggest that the time has come and gone to do this global draft, and I think I would be one of them. I'm going to ask you to be honest and put you on the spot again. How much time do you and other coaches really put into preparing for the global draft? We put quite a bit of time into it, um, just because the difference between winning and losing, Brendan, is so small in pro sport. And if you can have a good global player, it makes a big difference. So, um, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. And uh, Kyle Carson deserves a lot of credit for our our preparation, and he's the point man for us on the global draft. Um, so yeah, we put a lot of time and effort in, and, and um, we've had some good players, and and I think the teams that do a good job with the global draft have have an advantage. So we're doing the best we can to to try to be that team. Are you hearing feedback from the other coaches and GMs around the league as to what their thoughts are about this draft? The, the CFL draft in general? No, no, the global. Sorry, the global. The global. Yeah, yeah yes and no. I mean, it, it is a lot of work and a lot of times hard to get film of these guys. Um, but there's so many, so many, especially good punters. Uh, there's good punters in, in the global draft because the Australians are good. And you've, you've got a couple of special teams, body types. And, and there was a couple of good ones at the, at the combine as well, you know, positional players that you can look at as well. But, um you know, it's it's a lot of work, and the argument could be made that sometimes uh, the juice and the squeeze isn't quite the same at times. But it's worth it for us, and um, and we're going to just keep plugging along because uh, you know the the difference between winning and losing is small, and if you can get a good global player that can help you even win just one or two more games, that makes a difference in the end. Just one more question for you about the draft, because uh, I know so much of what you do is, um, you know, uh, d- player development, coaching once the season gets started. Um, the CFL draft is like no other in the fact that, well, in a, for a few different reasons, but the fact that it goes a week before uh, rookie camp opens, and there are reasons for that because of the timing of the NFL draft. Um, do, do you like the way that is set up, or have you thought that maybe it would be okay to push the draft back to something like March, April, uh, just so there's a little more lead time before training camp, and just uh, let whatever happens with the NFL draft happen? I do like the fact that it's after the NFL draft, because your opinion on it and a guy will change quite a bit based on where he's drafted in the NFL. And uh, and so I think it's important that our draft is after the NFL draft, but we've we've been pushing camp up a little bit these last few years, and so it seems to be uh, right on our doorsteps. You know, we have the CFL draft, and literally you start rookie camp the next week. So, um, But if you had to, you know, pin me down, I certainly feel like having our draft after the NFL draft is worth it just because, you don't want to draft a guy and then find out two months down the road he gets picked in the fifth round by an NFL team because you won't ever see him. And I just think losing a draft pick is is too uh, expensive, and so we want to make sure we do our due diligence and think having it after the NFL draft helps us. Good show. Zinger, we have a text on the Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line. Yeah, we got this one on the weekend from Jim. Jim wondering uh, what... Coach Dickinson's favorite hockey memory is with the NHL playoffs kicking mm. off. You know, I I didn't play a lot of hockey. That's a good question by Jim. I didn't play a lot of hockey, but I did play enough and and a little bit. My favorite memory isn't necessarily of, of of organized hockey, but one of my favorite memories growing up was as kids we did a lot of ice fishing. Uh, some folks in Saskatchewan call it hard water fishing, 
but we did a lot of that ice fishing and uh my dad would always you know he'd, he'd dig a hole with an auger and when you're do, doing that you're always able to, to pull up a big chunk of ice that looks a lot like a puck so me and my brother would bring our ice skates out in a, in a stick and we would play pond hockey on the lake while my dad would fish and that was always a fun memory as a kid growing up wow using the ice dug out by the auger for ice fishing is a puck that's genius coach i never even would have thought of that <laughs> yeah you couldn't take any hard slappers because you'd break the puck so um, <laughs> that was what we did we used that that chunk of ice that's... that came up when you dug a hole that, we, we've tried frozen manure and other yeah. things, and I've, we've never tried using a, a chunk out of the ice. I'll have to think a little more about that. We'll put the coach on hold for a brief moment. We'll take a quick time out and come back with more of the Craig Dickinson Show for McDougal Auctioneers on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Brennan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger filling in for the vacationing Michael Ball, who will be back on Wednesday. We carry on with the Craig Dickinson Show for McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalAuctions.com. Zinger, we have another text on the uh, Capital GMC Buick Cadillac text line for the coach. Yeah, we got Daryl in Regina. His question is, has coach interacted with Rob Vanstone since he joined the Riders? Yes, yes, I have, Daryl, and quite a bit. I haven't, um, I saw him one time when I was back for free agents. See, I don't think it had been announced yet that he was with us, uh, but I have talked with him on the phone a number of times, and he's uh, he's keen to get going in his new role as you know working for the writers, and he's he's written a lot of nice articles already, and so we've talked a lot, and uh, I think it's going to be great having him on board. He's going to be uh, one of us. He always really was. Rob was. I th- I felt like he always did a really good job of of being fair and really and really trying to paint the writers in the best light possible. And now he get paid for doing it. And I think if anybody can work for the organization and write a fair critique and pull it off from both sides, it would be Rob uh, in terms yeah, of he, having the he credibility. He does outstanding work. I, I sure enjoy working with him. Speaking of hockey, uh, I bet you didn't know this. The Billings Bighorns from Montana used to do the road trips against the Regina Pats. So there you go. I I looked it up on a map. You're in Whitefish. Billings is about a, oh, just a stone's throw, a seven-hour drive away. But uh, there's a there's a Manit- or, sorry, a Montana-Saskatchewan connection for you right there. Um, yeah, and you know what else? Here's another one for you guys. Uh, yep. Ryan Pollock, who used to work for the Riders, now is the GM out in Royal Regina. He had a little bit of a little bit of time down here in Great Falls with the Great Falls Americans hockey team. In fact, he's got some friends still in the Great Falls area that that asked you know ask me about him whenever I'm home. So there's a more of a Regina connection via hockey through through uh, through Pollock. And, and Montana, which is this incredible place that I'm uh, humiliated to admit I've never gone to. I have so many uh, friends who have made so many trips down there and uh, still on the bucket list. A lot of the attention last week was surrounding the contract extension with Kean Schaefer-Baker. Um, his CFL rights, anyways, uh, will be under control of the Rough Riders through 2025. What can you tell us right now about your expectation for when this, when KSB is going to be up and running and able to contribute to this football team in 2023. Yeah, we were first of all thrilled to get him back. He's a he's not only a great, he's really a good ambassador, um, good team guy, very good in the community. I think, I think really the fans love him and he loves he loves playing for the Riders. 
Um, that came out pretty clearly in his press conference. But uh, as far as his contribution on the field, we're hopeful he's going to be up and moving and running well by Labor Day. And if we can get him a little before that, that's that's a bonus. But we want to make sure that, that he's right when he comes back from all indications. The surgery went very well, and his rehab is ahead of schedule. But we'll be conservative and cautious with with Ken Schaefer Baker and making sure that he's 100 uh, percent before we put him out there. But we're hoping we're hoping by Labor Day. And so, with that said, um, does that put the onus especially high on these other Canadian receivers uh, that you have who are going to have to come in and shoulder the load? Prior to Labor Day, and I'm thinking of names like uh, Breskison, uh, Sam Emilis, Mitch Picton, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep, yeah, it does. You know, they know they're going to have to step up and play well and uh, and contribute. Um, and I think they're ready to do it. You know, all those names you mentioned are, are good, solid players. You know, that have that have spent uh, in the system. Breskison hasn't, but he's a veteran player and was in Calgary for a while before Toronto. So. We feel very good about our Canadian content. We feel good. Lennius, we got coming back, and we expect him to hit the ground running. We think Samuel Emulus is going to have a really nice career, and I think it's time for him to to, to grasp that starting role and, and really make it his. And I think he's more than capable of doing it. So, but we will have competition, and we got Mitch Picton there, we got Bruskus in there, we got some good ones, and uh, we feel fortunate to have the depth we do at Canadian receiver. And those guys are going to need to play and play well. And there will be a draft right before training camp, too. You might another pick up a draft, guy or two. We're yeah. looking at another one. So it just keeps going. That's pro sports for you. Um, it's tough to make a team, and it's even harder to stay on that team. So, But we feel like we've got some good ones. Next man up. We'll see how that works for you and your Rough Riders uh, this season. We had Frankie Hickson on the program last week, and uh, he spent the winter in Regina. Um, you know, the vast majority of players and coaches are not going to spend the winter in their um, NFL or CFL community. I think that's a given. Um, players need recovery time and coaches too, and time to go home, be with their families, etc. cetera. Uh, with that being said, is there an importance, do you think, for some of these guys to spend either their winters in their communities or maybe spend the odd off season and just get to know the town a little bit when you're not running to practice all the time, when you're not uh, getting ready for a game. You know, the, the, everything is so busy during the season, you don't really get a chance to get out and see the place. Do players and coaches need to do a little bit of that in the off season? you think? I, I think it helps. I really do. I mean, because you're right. It, you, you, much, uh, you just wear a path between your home and the stadium during the season. You don't get a chance to get out much. Anytime... Uh, a player or a coach can stick around a little bit longer after the season ends or maybe come back a little earlier. I do think it gives them a chance to out in the community, meet some folks and really just get, you know, exposed to what Regina and the province of Saskatchewan has to offer. And it's a nice, nice place and a nice place to call home. So I'm pleased that, that Frankie was back. The other thing is it allows them to, to access our training facility. We got state of the art weight room and fitness area. And I think our players, would really benefit by being being in in that during the off season. So I think it gives gives Frankie a little bit of a head start in, in terms of this this training camp. The fact he's able to stay here, work out at our facility, and, and and get a chance to get acclimated and comfortable to being in Regina again. Are those players allowed to access the facility year round? And is that a common thing in the Canadian Football League, as far as you know? 
Yep, uh, they are. They got we give them a key card. It's good year round, and I think most places do. Uh, but like you said, uh, the majority of, of players, especially your American players, go back to the states for the off season. But the ones that opt to stick stick around, we find ways to keep them busy. We got lots of, of appearances we can uh, do for them and get them in the community. And then of course they've got the ability to work out at our, at our facility, which I think is advantage. Uh, I feel like a lot of fans sometimes dismiss the importance of players continuing to train in the off season. You hear a lot of commentary, well, they make enough and they only have to play six months. Why don't they go get another job for the other six months? And uh, Eddie Davis explained it to me very um, precisely once. He said, Brendan, <clears throat> excuse me. If, if we're working full-time in the off-season, that means we're not training full-time in the off-season. If we're not training full-time in the off-season, we're not going to have a job when training camp comes up. We sometimes undervalue the, the, the ability for players to focus on their craft in the off-season, particularly in the Canadian Football League, don't you think? No question. And you'll know. I mean, this isn't, this isn't the old days, you know, where guys played themselves into shape during camp. This is professional football in 2023 where guys come in ready to roll because they know if they're not in great shape at the start of camp they're probably not going to make the team and that and that even goes for veteran players so i think the more we can pay the players the better because it gives them a chance to invest some money in their training i know i know players that'll spend ten, fifteen thousand dollars out of their own pockets just to to train in the off season with the, the right group of people so the idea that they can go get a second job is is not false, but they got to make sure and, and get their training in. And for a lot of them, that's a full day's work, even in the off season. So, it's a year round job, whether whether they're here year round or not. The reality is, being a pro football player is a twelve month a year job. And I, I know that um, I, I've even read about NFL players doing the same thing, going out and paying a personal trainer over and above what they get from their organization. The difference is those players have a little bit deeper pockets. Usually, I know you don't get involved in CBA negotiations and all that kind of stuff, and we've only got about 40 seconds left, but uh, do, do you think that's an area that the league could address the next time we have a CBA come up uh, so that the players really do have the best of the best training resources available to them year-round? Yeah, possibly. I mean, and you can earmark money for the players, you know, for, for off-season training. I think it's good, you know, and hopefully give them a chance to use that. But, um, yeah, I, I think everything everything we can do to make it better for the players and make them feel special and more valued as, as athletes and as people that come up and play for the team, I think we're, we're ahead of the game if we can do that. So you'll never hear me say, anything other than let's invest in our players because without the players, Brendan, the CFL wouldn't exist and none of us would have jobs and we, we wouldn't have the, the great quality product that we do get in the CFL each week. Very well said, my friend, and um, we'll, we'll lobby for that at the next CBA and we'll lobby for a higher coaches cap too because without the coaches, we don't have the games either. Hey, listen, we will let you run. Uh, enjoy your Oilers tonight if you get a chance to uh, take that in and we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good, fellas. Appreciate you having me. Okay, that is the coach, Craig Dickinson, uh, appearing with us for McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalAuctions.com. Time to break. Suits is next. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. 
Let's head ringside and check in with the oldest major junior hockey team in Canada. This is Pat Chats from your official voice of the Regina Pats, 620 CKRM. Pat Chat for the Canadian Brew House. Simply Spiked Lemonade is new to the CBH with four bold, full-flavored, fizzy choices to enjoy. Well, now I guess you could say former Pats defenseman Stanislav Svozel was assigned to AHL Cleveland this past Friday. Svozel picked up his first NHL point in his debut Thursday against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he also had three shots on goal over Columbus's final two games of the season. So now Svozel will gain some valuable playoff experience in the AHL after scoring 11 times and adding 67 assists with the Pats this year. It's going to be fun to watch this guy in the future with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And maybe, just maybe, Connor Bedard could be his teammate. Just saying. Hey, I'm just saying. There's your patch at. And Glenn Suter press coverage is for Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. Glenn, we just had uh, the coach, Craig Dickinson, on the show uh, moments ago. He tells us that his favorite NHL team is the Oilers. So on the eve of the Stanley Cup playoffs, I'll put you on the spot and ask, what team do you have a rooting interest for? Well, I loved Wayne Gretzky, and uh, as, as so many Canadians did. So for years and years, I just loved that that Oilers team when he was with Edmonton, and he had Yerry Curry and... Glenn Anderson and Mark Messier and that that really changed hockey and opened it up and scoring and all of that stuff so I, I sort of I'm not an Oilers fan but I'm I'm a fan of certain players same same with you know the CFL or NFL year I'm a fan with I'm a fan of, of certain players like I was always a fan of Ronnie Lott for instance and um, you know, different guys in the Canadian Football League, like Tom Clements, I was a fan of his. So, yeah, for hockey, I, I'm going to cheer for any Canadian team that's in it except the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ah, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. A- ABT, anyone but Toronto. And uh, you're, you're not alone, um, especially out here on the prairies. We had John Hodge from Three Down Nation on earlier this hour, and uh, the, you, the, the website released the top 15 paid CFL quarterbacks and he says tomorrow they're going to do the running backs and then the receivers etc etc and he gave us a spoiler that Andrew Harris is the number two paid running back in the CFL going into this next season Um, that raised my eyebrows a little bit just because he spent so much time on the shelf last year which might have been predictable given his age does it surprise you at all that the Toronto Argonauts or any CFL team uh, would throw a bunch of money at a 36-year-old running back. Well, he's been the best running back in the in the game for the last three or four years. Uh, and and did, that really didn't change, although he wasn't a, available as often uh, last year uh, that he was previous years with Winnipeg. Um, you know, still uh, a dual threat. You know, there's not, there's not many tailbacks that can do it all the way he can. I mean, he's got power if he needs it. He can he can make you miss in the hole if he needs it. But he can also run a corner route and beat a DB. And we saw that in the Great Cup a couple of years ago in Calgary against the Hamilton Tiger Cat when he was the you know the MVP of the game and the outstanding Canadian. Of course, if you're if you're the MVP of the game, you're going to be the outstanding Canadian if you're a Canadian. So. Um, you know, I, I'm not surprised. You know, first of all, with the, the 
publicizing salaries. I, I'm really, I'm really not a fan of it, to be honest. Um, in all reason, leagues or just the being, CFL? In in all leagues. Okay, why is in that? In all leagues. Well, it's especially you know, even the you know the NFL or Major League Baseball. First of all, uh, you know the accuracy of them. I, re- I remember back when I was playing, and I did know when when Bill Baker sat us down for contract negotiations, and he would lay out the other contracts of all the other DBs, so I knew exactly where I fit in in that in that uh, you know hierarchy, and um, you know so. When I when I would see them publicized, or and I'd see people talk about them on the radio or in the newspaper, I would think that's not even close. That's not, it's not accurate. Mm. So accuracy is also always a question when I see, uh, you know, contracts being, or the the amount a guy gets paid being publicized. And it, I also think it's ridiculous, really, when when the NFL talks about signing a quarterback for $67 million or $85 million. And you and I debate whether or not he should have got 90 or 75. I mean, it's just that kind of money. When you get to those levels of money for major league baseball or the NFL, what, you know, that, that to me is an absolutely ridiculous discussion. Should he have got seventy million for three years, or should he have got eighty-five million for three years? I mean, what? Uh, how about he? You know, he doesn't ever have to work again after one year. Good for him. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm happy for the guys. I want the guys to make as much as they can. I just think it's a ridiculous debate. Plus, honestly, it has nothing to do with winning and losing. And I I like discussing how a team can put together a championship team and, and, and the difference between championship teams and teams that struggle and the, you know, the, the tangibles and the measurables and all those things that help you win football games. Your salary doesn't help you win a football game. So, you know, and I, I've always said, if you and I were doing the exact same thing that we're doing right now in New York City, talking about the Giants or the New York Yankees every day on the radio, and we were making five to eight million dollars a year doing it. Would you approach that job any different than you are right now? I should hope because not. If, yeah, because if you do, then you're selling us out. You're selling your teammates out right here on this station. So I hope your answer is no. I would do the same preparation. I'd be the same guy. I'd be doing the same thing in New York. I just got paid a whole bunch more for doing it, but it doesn't change how I approach it. So I, I just, you know, when it comes to putting salaries, I, hey, I, if, if you want to do a fantasy league where you, you give a number to guys, that's different. You know, you, you're, you're putting a number. This guy costs X amount of dollars and you're, doing, you're building your fantasy team. That part's cool. That's fun. And, and a lot of people love that. So that's, that's fine. But, other than that, you know, when I did look at the salaries, if you want to go there, we, you know, a, a couple things jumped out for me. Taylor Cornelius got is getting a pretty good paycheck for a guy who's still trying to find a way to really settle in and win games. Mm-hmm. I, again, again, I am. If if these are accurate, let's pretend they are. Yeah. Um, 
if Taylor Court and I, and I hope Taylor Cornelius and every guy makes as much as they possibly can, but in that structure, and you look at you know Zach and Bo, Trevor, the top three, Taylor is right behind those guys, and you know there there's not a lot of wins or playoff performance wins there. So you know even Cody Fajardo, who's won playoff games and and you know been so close to to a berth to the cup, Dane Evans by the way, is the best deal in the on the board. Oh, you think so? <laughs> I do, yeah, because he can start. He's a starter. He can play. I mean, he had a bad year, no, no question, and he'll tell you that. But what I love about it is way down at almost the bottom, Dane Evans sits there. He goes to BC. He's, he's playing with Vernon Adams, so, you know, I, I think he's going to get some playing time, even if Vernon is healthy. And you know he he's betting on himself and i love that he he took a low deal as far as quarterbacks go and he said i'll bet on myself i'll if i get a chance to play i'm going to win games and then the the money will take care of itself Glenn Suter joins us for quality tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan qualitytire.ca <clears throat> you know that's a really good one that you pointed out there, Glenn and uh, Dane Evans. The numbers on him between ninety four thousand and one fifty one, and you're right for somebody who might be a qualified starter. You know, in the event something happens with Vernon Adams Jr., um, yeah, I, I don't know how that could be viewed as anything but a bargain. I'll throw one at you that really jumped out at me. A really interesting comparison. And number seven, Cody Fajardo's numbers. Long story short, he's getting paid about 25% more than Vernon Adams Jr. And I feel like those two quarterbacks' careers have mirrored one another. And I think it would be fair to question if Cody Fajardo should be, is worth 25% more than Vernon Adams Jr. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, Cody Fajardo led the Riders, you know, to West Finals. And, you know, again, was a goalpost away from a great cup berth and very close on the second try. Um, you know, I, I think he's right about where he should be. I, again, I, I'm not this Cody Fajardo hater that a lot of people are. I, I, I think when he is healthy, because, because he is sort of the dual threat guy where he can, he can run as well as he can throw. And I think he throws with more confidence when he has his legs underneath him and he runs well. Um, he he just had an off year due to that injury. I mean, he had that injury early, and he just wasn't right. He wasn't right with his receiving core, and you know it. He, it the consequences were he had to find a new team. But I, I think he's right where he is. There's one other observation I'll make too, really quickly. Um, I used to believe. Again, we're we're assuming these numbers are correct. I, I used to believe that between three hundred and fifty thousand and about four or five hundred thousand, let's say five hundred thousand, was right about where CFL quarterbacks should be based on our financial structure, and and they shouldn't be much more than that. And if we were going to make more revenues and then decide where those revenues would be spent. I thought I've always said that I I prefer they be spent at the bottom half or the bottom third of the pay structure so the minimum wage goes up and if you could get minimum wage to around 100 grand a year and then you know receivers really good receivers and linebackers at 200 and then your left tackle and the, you know so to it, it, it 
if you if you went from that side up rather than quarterbacks. Now, that has been adjusted slightly because of the spring leagues. I don't want people to misunderstand me. Not because I think the spring leagues are a threat or anything like that, because they're not, and I'm not on that hamster wheel anymore. So they're just not. But because they exist, and because it looks like new revenues will be coming into the Canadian Football League as we continue to build here, I'm okay with paying quarterbacks more money. And, you know, if it got up to 750 or whatever it might be and the top starting quarterbacks were all around 500 or up because the revenues allowed for it, that would eliminate the thought that a really good quarterback coming out of college, not going to the NFL, would come to Canada before playing in the spring league. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, you know, it's really hard for me to criticize any team or organization or player for getting seven, eight hundred thousand, or even a million dollars when we look at some of the salaries that they're paid south of the border. We'll take a quick time out and carry on with more press coverage with Glenn Suter here on Rider Radio six twenty CKRM. Brendan McGuire and Sean Kleisinger filling in for the vacationing Michael Ball. Ballsy will be back on Wednesday, the calm before the storm. He gets a break before uh, training camp starts. The rookie camp scheduled to begin on May the 10th. And right now uh, we go back out on the line to continue on with Glenn Suter press coverage for Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan, qualitytire.ca. Uh, Suits, I want to ask you about Mario Alford in just a moment, but before I get to that, uh, I was going to allude to uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who had his first victory as a USFL starting quarterback, and that didn't surprise me at all. I think uh, McBeth will do quite well down in the USFL. One thought that keeps rattling around in my own brain is uh, the USFL championship is to be handed out, I believe, very early on in the CFL season. Uh, If you're the Toronto Argonauts, or any other team for that matter, uh, who's having trouble at the quarterback position, and uh, McLeod decides that he does have some time to come up to Canada in the summer, and he does have a little unfinished business because he didn't get to finish that Grey Cup win or go on stage last November, would you welcome him with open arms if you're a CFL team needing a quarterback? Yeah, if I'm running a team uh, and there are players available that I know that are experienced that can win, then absolutely. I don't care what they're doing or where they've been or what league they just finished with. Or, you know, the only concern you have, and this would be one that you'd have to talk to the player about and his, you know, his doctor and his therapist and things like that, is is he physically okay to go through what do they play in the USFL, a a nine-game season, and then at the end of a nine-game season, then turn around and be able to to contribute to the Canadian Football League season. So that would be the only concern, is is whether or not his body would would hold out. But if, if he was feeling good and healthy and strong and could help your team win, and it works in your budget, because by then you're starting the season, so you're you're probably, you know, got your head touching the cap, the top of the cap. Um, you know, I think you're that that's another consideration, but yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if you can help you win, bring them in. You know, I, I haven't had any concern about these spring leagues, and in fact, I would be I, I feel just about certain that the XFL won't be back next year, and uh, the USFL is a big maybe, and even if it is back, I, it doesn't really have an impact on our league. Um, 
but I will say that I feel like not having McLeod Bethel Thompson part of the Canadian Football League, that's kind of a loss for our league, isn't it? I mean, just having his story, his character, it's kind of too bad that we don't have him in the Canadian Football League. I think the CFL is better with uh, Macbeth in it than it is without him, isn't it? Yeah, I, I well, he's a great guy. I mean, a great character, and I, I really liked how he stood up and uh, made some, at times, slightly controversial statements, but, um, you know, talked about how great the athlete is in Canadian football and that uh, even at times that some of the stakeholders in the game don't uh, give Canadian athletes, and not, not just Canadians, but athletes, that are in the Canadian Football League, uh, the credit that they deserve. So, yeah, I, I thought he was he was very interesting to listen to through the Great Cup. He can make every throw in the book. You know, it's funny, though, and, it, and this goes back to the Cody Pajardo discussion because at the beginning of the season, I, I would say that McLeod Bethel-Thompson was probably rated by most people in the country as probably number seven or eight if you were rating quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the starters, right? And the, and Cody Fajardo. Remember Cody Fajardo in his first couple of years as the starter when everyone in the province absolutely loved him and he was engaging with the fans and he was winning football games and he was running and he had, I mean, basically for a couple of years there, he had a cape on. So then you look at McLeod Bethel-Thompson at the end of the season and everyone's talking about him as possibly the best quarterback in the league. And Cody Fajardo has now become a guy that, you know, nobody wants anymore. I just, I, you know, I think, I think sometimes we, we jump to conclusions based on one game or one bad season or one average season, even at times. Um, and, you know, you've got to look at the body of work as a whole, I think, when making your judgments on some of these guys. I think Cody's got a lot of game left in him, and if McLeod Bethel-Thompson wants to come back to the CFL, I say I'm all for it. Welcome to the roller coaster of professional football. <laughs> That's what yes. that is. Um, <laughs> just one more for you, Suits. Um, uh, Mario Alford uh, it was a pretty good special teams weapon for the Riders last year, and the tone from the organization and from him all offseason has been they're probably just going to let him focus on that. Now, you played in an era when uh, there were guys who did just just that. Uh, Gizmo Williams, I know that the uh, Edmonton oh. Football Club would use him in certain formations, but for the most part, he was a return guy, not a receiver. Um, I remember even in the NFL, Devin Hester, um, when he was exclusively a return guy, he was Devin Hester. And uh, the Bears didn't have any decent receivers, so they had to put him up there. And he was a good receiver, but he wasn't quite the same after that as a kick returner. Pinball Clemens was a good kick returner, um, amazing player. He could do it all. But he even has some quirky stat. It's very he's ha Pinball has a very limited number of 100-yard rushing games. Um, so I guess the point I'm getting at is, is there some relevance to saying, hey, it's okay to just let him specialize and, and making him do these other things, be a receiver, is only going to be to his detriment and the football team's detriment uh, in terms of allowing him to be an elite kick returner. Yeah, no, it's it's a great discussion. First of all, we have so many of these guys, these, these great returners, undersized guys that can just fly in our league because of the rules and the field size and the kicking game. So it's that's 
the first point. The second is I love this discussion over the publicizing of salaries discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question, it, it's always a juggling uh, sort of you're juggling it as a head coach to figure out how you can use a guy because you're so tempted with a guy like Mario Alford or um, pinball. I mean, pinball was a great receiver out of the backfield. May not have had a hundred yard uh, rushing that often, but was a great receiver. Just, I mean, basically uh, almost redefined that, that extra slot back that he could line up as a tailback in a two back set. And then he could just exit the backfield in the cadence and now he's got a matchup on a linebacker and, you know, he, he can be dangerous. He was very dangerous that way. So, uh, you know, Gizmo was the, the best returner, punt returner, kickoff returner in the world when he played for Edmonton. And he was an average receiver. He, he was okay. He was not a great receiver. So that's the juggling act that a, that a coach has to go through. I mean, is Mario Alford going to be a great receiver? If he's not, I would be reluctant to take away from his, you know, from him being full strength when that punt arrives. I want him to be full strength when that punt arrives. And by the way, it's a third of the game in the CFL, as you know. There could be, you know, six or seven, eight punts. That's eight opportunities for him. I mean, a receiver would love to have eight, nine, ten catches every single game and be targeted that many times. And here's Mario Alford, unless the team is deliberately kicking away from him, which gets them in trouble because they're often really short punts when they're trying to avoid a kick returner. Um, you know, I, I'd, reluct, I'd be reluctant to, to use him too much in other ways. But the best way to do that, is bring in depth behind them. If you get another great returner, you know, even somebody that nobody knows right now, and now you've got two guys back there that can really go, now you can play Mario Alford at receiver a little bit more and, and see what he can do there. But um, it's a great debate. It's a great discussion. Uh, I think when they are primary returners, they can't wait to get the ball. There's this sense of urgency in their mind. And he gets every one of us, including me in the broadcast booth, up out of my chair. To, well, I stand up anyway. But uh, standing up to watch those guys return punts because they are fun to watch. This is just more evidence, Glenn, that we should just do the way they did. Do every, do things the way they did in the 90s. I think this is just another example of that. Uh, this has been great. Um, we'll let you go enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks, pal. Okay. Thank you. That is press coverage with Glenn Suter for Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan, qualitytire.ca. Wow, we made it through, and uh, the place didn't blow up. And uh, that is another edition of the Sports Cage. Zinger at Night is next.